Good evening. You are listening to a Radiligion Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. Mr. Mark Rattledge, and tonight our favorite show is Odd Taxi, based on the manga Odd Taxi. <laughs> Joining me in this endeavor tonight is my usual Tuesday night delight, ladies and gentlemen. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have you all to myself tonight. I don't have to share you with Alexis Haina and Jason Teasley and. Whenever a random listener is out there wanting to be on the podcast that I can't say no to, ladies and gentlemen, the love of my life, Robert Winfrey. Yay! That That is a sad commentary on your <laughs> life. <laughs> it's one that my wife knows to be true. Fair enough. <laughs> Look, you, you, I am not in a position to comment on your marriage. <laughs> we all have our crosses to bear and, you know skeletons in the closet and bones to bury and so odd taxi we were supposed speaking to be up, <laughs> speaking of you know skeletons in the closet and <laughs> things to bury and <laughs> we were supposed to do food wars tonight but the short short version of that story is <laughs> <laughs> sean garmer um says yes to podcast and then i go great talk to you in six months and six months comes and goes and he's like yeah i can't for any number of different reasons and I say, okay, Sean. So I didn't want to do Food Wars without Sean. And then Robert also made the suggestion, what about this new thing called Odd Taxi? We should talk about that. And then David was like, I'll wait to talk about Food Wars. Then go, you guys go have your mandate and have and talk about Odd Taxi. And so here we are talking about Odd Taxi. Why else, Robert Winfrey, are we talking about Odd Taxi? Well, in addition to your initial reaction to the first season or so of Food Wars... Which was the not neck, which, woman which biting was, into food and being covered in honey and orgasming like nothing I'd ever seen in porn. Well, I mean, that and here, try these uh, squid tentacles dipped in peanut butter. <laughs> um, oh! <laughs> it, it occurred to me that what you, given when you started watching it, it might have been a bit of a rush to get you through, to get you up to date to the end of the series. It was, it was just a lot of show. And that's not yeah. to say you couldn't have done it or you wouldn't have done it. It was just as a consideration to the hectic nature of life. I said, hey, here's this single season, 13 episode thing that got a bit of buzz when it came out. I waited until the whole thing was out and then a little longer because my own life happened as it is wont to do. But I watched it and I deeply enjoyed it. And this is a little bit more up your sensibilities, I suppose, than yes, Food I Wars believe. happens to be. It's a single season. There's right. nothing. If I, if I circumstances was, change. I was going to say, I believe your pitch was if Quentin Tarantino wrote a manga that was adapted into an anime, it would be Odd Taxi, which seems to be the consensus. And 
it's you a had, you definitely had me at Quentin Tarantino. It's a weird like this show has more in common with the films of Tarantino and the Coen Brothers than it does mm -hmm. with a lot of other anime stuff. I would agree with that, and that made it interesting and. As fun as Food Wars is, and as fun as it might be to talk about, and I, I certainly look forward to us rescheduling that at some point in the future. In consideration of, you know, the totality of what was going on, of, you know, your life being a little bit wonky, my life being wonky, the propensity of other people to have life happen to them, so things can't necessarily go as scheduled, and Mark knows all about the schedule, falling apart. <laughs> I just, I, this was a good plan B. It was a good fallback in case things happen. Here's something. It's a fairly easy watch, and I think you'll enjoy it as it stands. So that was my, that was my backup pitch to the original plan. And this is, this usually winds up, I usually think that way simply because I'm usually the fallback guy. And I am the, I am permanently on deck man. So I tend to think a little bit, okay, so what's the, you know, what's the contingency here? Mm -hmm. And Odd Taxi made a very good contingency and wound up, I mean, if I'd watched it and thought it sucked, I wouldn't have you know, suggested it, but I very much enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to talking about it. All right. So Odd Taxi, according to the wiki, uh, is a Japanese anime television series produced by OLM and PICS. The series aired on TV Tokyo and ATX in Japan from April 6th. To June 29th of 2021. The manga was written by Kazuya Kanemoto, um, published by Shoga Kukan. Uh, the imprint it says is Big Comic Magazine, Superior Delpana. So, and something called his, his demographic here is sign in. You want to translate, translate that for me there, sir? I can translate some of it. Okay. <laughs> uh, the big thing there is the, is the demographic. The mm -hmm. This the is two, not Shonen Jump. That much I got. Well, um, Shonen is its own subgenre. Shonen is usually stuff aimed at young boys. Okay. Stuff like Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z. Uh, yes, like your shirt. Um, you know, Naruto, Boruto, stuff, uh, stuff like that. That's a bit more the Shonen. Okay. Uh, By the way. I may call you at some point to tell you I can't do a show because I take my child to Tampa General Hospital because he Naruto, what is it? Naruto jump, Naruto run. Okay. What is, there's what? a, yes, there's idiots that try the Naruto run. Yes. Okay. So my son Naruto running into something and, and having, and putting himself in the hospital because he's been okay. Naruto running all around the house. Just wanted you to know that. Yeah, that will end badly. That is literally leading with your face. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed. But the point being, shonen stuff is aimed at younger, you, uh, you know, the eight to twelve year old boys mostly. Okay. Sinan, I'm probably mis. I, I, this is this is a slight different pronunciation that I occasionally get wrong, but for the sake of argument, just go with my pronunciation. Sinan is aimed more at late teens. Okay. This is so you get stuff that's more adult and i don't mean that in the you know erotic sense i mean you deal with heavier themes there's usually more violence that kind of stuff so this PG being 13. yeah so pg well 13 to r um okay. berserk it, because if you're not familiar with berserk berserk's a sign in uh, a sanin and okay. well, we'll be getting familiar with berserk very soon who you 
Netflix. What are they doing? Oh, you had, do you? I was not aware they'd done another thing with Berserk. They're going to be doing a thing with Berserk. They're developing it. Oh, God. Uh, well, and Keanu, and Keanu Reeves apparently is in it. They're doing a live action Berserk. Oh, that's going to be terrible. Why don't do that? We'll, we'll talk about it later. I'll okay, send you the okay. details. Well, if you're not familiar with Berserk, Berserk is a very dark, very violent mm -hmm. property, and it was public. You know, it's one of and it's within very, this. It's within yeah. this group. So there, yeah. there's a range from Mia to Berserk. Yeah. Okay. And What's Berserk, Mia, by the way? What would you say is Mia? Well, I wouldn't even say Berserk is necessarily the apex of. Okay. Something like Chainsaw Man might be more at the top of that list. And what's at the bottom? The softest thing. I mean, Odd Taxi's are pretty soft. Okay. You, wow. You, okay. It expect it expects you to pay attention, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it is very much not for children. But there's not a ton of profanity. There's not a ton of violence. The violence that is displayed in this series is very grounded in reality. Okay. If there's a you know somebody gets punched or beaten you're not okay two minutes later you're gonna be you're you know your face is swollen you right. get beaten badly go to the hospital you get shot that's a pretty serious thing right the okay. existence of firearms at all you could argue uh, mm -hmm. pushes it more into that adult especially given the japanese culture around guns okay so so this odd taxi thing was meant for mid to late teenagers and it's at the low end of the the violent scale oh yeah um and then this was adapted into a television show to your recollection if you if you can answer that question how popular was this television show um in its intended audience it there's a it was a little bit unfortunate with its release date uh anime comes in seasons you get about four se you get about uh usually break it into three seasons per year okay so you tend to get you know spring summer and winter and Actually, so they do 13. It's usually one per quarter of the year. Spring, so you get one for each season. Okay. You get spring, winter, summer, fall. Okay. The spring anime season for 2021 was... was what? <laughs> it was Demon Slayer. No. Okay. Was loaded with quality. Okay. There was a bunch of stuff, and it was a bunch of new stuff, too, that okay. kind of just sucked up all the oxygen in the space. Okay. Um. I mean, you had some returning stuff. You had My Hero Academia is going ongoing right now. That kind of came back. Uh, that Vivi. seems to be the most popular thing going right now in it's anime. In at least my daughter's age bracket, she's ten, so plus or minus a year or so. Yeah, my uh, My Hero Academia is very popular. Um, if also it, judging by what's at, what's popular in Hot Topic, that's the stuff I I see that in Demon Slayer and Naruto. Mm. Yeah, those are those are the big merch movers. So again, you have that coming back for the start of its fifth season. Um, you sort of had the tail end of the last half, or the first half of the last season of Attack on Titan, which is another big one. Mm -hmm. You had VV that came out that everyone loved. You had 86 that came out that a lot of people got involved, got into. Like, there's just there was a lot. There so was a they, lot of really good stuff. So they released the. It's kind of like the summer, like summer release schedule. You know, we're like just as an example and i don't want to get off on a tangent here so mm -hmm. just go with it but like let us presume this was a normal movie release season and it's like you released reminiscence in the middle of you know jungle cruise and free guy and Candyman and venom it's like who the fuck was gonna go see reminiscence a little it's a little bit like that yeah i mean we're also talking we're talking about a lot of debuting stuff as well as some returning stuff and 
the summer, like the winter of 2020 had a lot of crap. Okay. Had a lot of crap. So if it had released then, it would have made a bigger splash. If it had come out more summer, you know, as we're getting into summer 2021 now, it might have stood out a little bit more. But again, there's you're trying to balance. You have bigger returning franchises. Then you have other new stuff that you just kind of pick a season depending on the production schedule. And you go, okay, you're going to release here. And some stuff hits, some stuff misses. That's just kind of how it goes. So this had a hard fight for space. A little bit, yeah. Okay. Now, on the plus side... Everyone who saw this loved it. Right. Like, so, this, it, it, so this got critical acclaim for those who saw it, but it's like a, like kind of an artsy hidden gem. And in a, in another season, again, if this you know comes out six months later or eight months later, mm -hmm. it probably gets more attention. Uh, there was just so much really, not just so much stuff in general, but so much really good stuff that as really good as this is, it it didn't quite find the same. Uh, breadth of its audience fortunately everyone who talks about anime professionally or even semi-professionally is happy to sing this thing's praises it does seem to be getting you know a lot of good not just reviews but it does kind of pick up some steam so it's not going to it's flying a little bit under the radar but it's not like you're not you know mining the depths of moria to find the the arkenstone <laughs> kind of and i know i'm mixing my books there but it's go with fine. me all right so the story <clears throat> so the wiki tells me is set in a world of anthropomorphic animals, like everything in anime, I, I seem to see. <clears throat> Odd Taxi follows the story of Otakawa, a 41-year-old walrus taxi driver whose parents abandoned him in an elementary school, leaving him generally asocial. However, he usually has conversations with other animal inhabitants who ride in his taxi <clears throat> on respective journeys around Tokyo, where the series is set. Otakawa's conversations with these people unravel into a series of mysterious acts and acts of violence, uh, including that of a missing high school girl. And because of the case of the missing girl, the police have been tracking leads back to him, and now both the Yakuza and the cops are on his tail. Honestly, like, this is a great premise for not the animal part. The animal part I've just sort of, you know, I just deal with because that seems to be a large portion of what anime is. But I... Also, by the way, I had two reaction, immediate reactions to watching this. When you told me what this was, and I'm watching the first five minutes of this, I had two just immediate visceral reactions. One, what the fuck is with Robert and the anthropomorphic animal <laughs> shows between this and Bojack Horseman? I'm starting to worry about you. I'm <laughs> so... <laughs> what, what, what's your thing with animals, sir? Oh, get bent. I'm not a furry. <laughs> you say that now. Um, but yes, I have said that my, I have said that since I was aware that furries were things. I'm not a furry. Um, all kidding aside that, that literally was my reaction. Just like, I'm, oh, I'm God, sure this, this is another Winfrey animal show. Oh, here you, we go. You, must, you must give me grief about, <laughs> about some of these artistic choices. Um, but the other thing was, and this might be dating myself a touch. You might not even know what I'm talking about. Kurt Loder. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Yes, that would be dating yourself. Uh, taxi, taxi Cab Confessions on HBO. Do you remember this? I'm aware of it, yes. Okay, so I went into this totally blind. I did not know what this was. But the first, like, five to ten minutes of this is just a dude talking to the taxi driver from the back of the cab. And they're having a rather innocuous conversation about how to go viral and why it's important to go viral and why the counter opinion to that is that's a really vapid life you're living. And I'm thinking to myself, 
oh god, this is gonna be 13 episodes of taxi cab confessionals <laughs> with fucking animals. And I'm like, what the hell is this? It's like, is this all this is gonna be? And I'm like, and I'm like weirdly into it. I'm like, I want to see what they do with this concept now. Now it turns out <clears throat> we have a nice little crime show that comes out of this. But that was like my immediate reaction. When did the show hook you? I'm gonna I'm gonna go into plot synopsis in just a moment. We'll discuss it episode by episode. But when did, but when, did when do you think the show landed for you? Uh, I can't remember if it's the first or second episode. Okay. But the scene with him and his doctor. Okay. Because it's, I think it is the first episode because that episode ends with him and the alpaca in the back. Yeah. He's talking with his doctor and we've set up a little bit. The conversation with the doctor is important for a couple of reasons, actually, I think is why this hooked me. One, like you mentioned, there's the innocuous conversation with the college student about trying to go viral. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this show is taking time to have this very human, when I say human, it looks like real. Right? Sure. This is a real conversation. It's not had for the camera, so to speak. Mm -hmm. The fact that the show takes its time and does this, that intrigues me because so often contemporary media is... You know, here, here, here. We got to hit the plot. We got to hit the plot point. We got to hit the let plot me, point. Let me jump in here because, like, the comparison to Quentin Tarantino. So think about, like, the beginning of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And they're having a conversation. Not everyone, like, the royale with cheese. There's a whole bit that happens where they're just talking about Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Everyone remembers royale with cheese. But the whole conversation is, I went to Amsterdam where it's legal to smoke pot. Amsterdam is so free as opposed to this very controlling America where we're having to, you know, we're having to juke and jive for our bread. And the, and the conversation is basically, I was so happy there and I didn't want to come back here. You should go too. You'd be happy. And, and it's just two guys having a conversation relative to their world that they live in. And everyone kind of dismisses it. I know. And that's why I'm bringing this up. <clears throat> It seems for it seemed for a lot of filmmakers of that time that were criticizing it that it just seemed like junk talk, you know. Mm, mm -mm. But it's not. It's really not. If you examined, as you got to know those two guys, and that's why I'm going back over this. If you got to, if you get to know those two guys throughout the course of Pulp Fiction, and you go back to the conversation, you realize you're learning a lot about John Travolta and Samuel Jackson in what is on the surface an innocuous conversation, but is in fact very telling about their personalities and about their characters and kind of tells you what's going to happen with them as the movie uh, unravels. And that was the first thing I picked up about that conversation between the hippo and the walrus, which sounds like something else, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, between the cab driver and the college student, because everything you need to know at that point about the cab driver, who is the star of this thing, you learn in that conversation about what it means to go viral and why it's vapid. Yeah. So I, I dug that this is a show that will give you subtext rather than scream at you. And boy, do I miss not being screamed at by media properties. <laughs> it's, it's really nice. <laughs> the, then it does, again, he goes to see his doctor and they talk a little bit about, some, they reference some of his medical issues, but you also get their interplay. Mm-hmm. Which some of which is is again this like Tarantino, Coen Brothers esque dialogue, and I say that very specifically because 
they have a debate about who's the MVP of the We Are the World song. <laughs> At one point, Odakawa just tells him, you're just saying Bruce Springsteen because you like saying Bruce Springsteen. And it, it, it it's just great. Like, that that is great dialogue because you mm-hmm. find it so infrequently in... I mean, never mind... In, Never mind that this is rare for this almost un, not completely unheard of, but it's almost unheard of to get you know anime that has dialogue like this. Mm-hmm. It's rare enough, like in you know traditional television shows, like you, you just yeah. you don't really get this. Yeah, people picked up the wrong lessons from from Tarantino. They really a lot of them really did. So there's that, and then there's also this one moment between them when his doctor, who is a gorilla asks him, what do I look like to you? And Otakawa, without missing a beat, tells him, a gorilla. And there's this half beat in the in the doctor's reaction. And then he kind of chuckles and goes, well, I can't argue with that. <laughs> well, and, and here's why this is important, though. Mm-hmm. Because the way they're talking about his medical issues... There's this creeping suspicion that kind of works its way into your head at that moment. Is this is this really a world full of anthropomorphic animals? Mm-hmm. Or is this Otakawa's delusion? Is Otoka- When he says, you look like a gorilla, is this a gorilla going, well, this is the most literal reaction to the question I've given you and I can't argue with this? Right. Or is this a large, burly man who is told, you look like a gorilla, and, you know, I'm a big guy. Well, sure. And from, and, a you... ther- and from a therapeutic standpoint, is that the right time and place to challenge somebody's reality perception? Yeah. Because you don't always do that with a patient. Sometimes you're like, you're just kind of working through things. It's like, okay, if this is your processing mechanism, if this is your coping mechanism, and you're not hurting yourself or anybody else, then fine, everyone's an animal for right now. And, and we'll work with that. Yeah. And there's a bunch of little moments like that. Like when he tells uh, the girl whose name escapes me at the moment, like he picks her up in his taxi and she goes, how did you know it was me? He's like, well, you're the only alpaca around here. (laughs) And there's a, and again, there's a moment where she kind of re and the fact that they had to do this with animation is genuinely brilliant. If you're able to do this with live actors, you have to do this with your face and and things of that nature to give your little reaction slash non-reaction and kind of a, you know, what's going on here. Doing it with animation is all about timing and sound design and the score. And it works beautifully because he gives these little things like this. And the way other people respond to him is again, you're not sure. Like, is this a person in this world where everyone's an animal just being concrete, literal, about this kind of stuff and everyone's kind of going, Oh, you you, you know, people react like that when you're literal. Right. I mean, Lord knows I'm familiar with people reacting to me like that. And as you have mentioned on more than one occasion, I'm fairly concrete in that respect. And I don't object to that. That's a, that's an accurate observation. So, but you're just not sure. Like, is this really like what's going on here? And, and so this is one of those moments that like rewards you for paying attention as you were so fond of saying, and it's like a major, major hook for you yeah so there's and that the uncertainty of everything that's going on okay the pacing of the dialogue (laughs) 
which again, the pacing that they have in this is rare enough for, and, and not just not just context, but the way they talk. They they pick up. You know, someone once described Quentin Tarantino's dialogue as optimized human conversation. Yeah, people pick up. People pick up exactly where they're supposed to. There's rhythm. There's poetry. That's what this show does with a lot of its dialogue exchanges. And again, that's rare enough in film and television that is all live action. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly rare in anime when everyone does the big reaction shots and people give big speeches. And I I can enjoy all that in the right context. Don't get right. uh, this is not a value statement in that respect. But it's so different and it's so engrossing to watch these two guys argue about the we are the world song i, I have one question for you um really kind of a short 50 word a yes 50 word or less question for you and then we'll get right into the plot synopsis uh for episode one <laughs> we're still we haven't even gotten into episode one yet we'll get there. um but i know from having done 107 years of reviews with you um <laughs> it's been that long I, uh, I am not disputing your understanding of time. <laughs> that one of the great frustrations is if you're kind of like the person who knows how the magic is performed. And so the magic show isn't nearly as interesting to you. And as a matter of fact, some of the, you know, you get more frustrated by bad magi magicians because not only can you can not only can you see the trick being performed, there's there there is no even um, there's there's no attempt at illusion as far as you're concerned, and it's just frustrating. It's like a giant waste of time for you. This is the thing that I've picked up about you among uh, all, that's, along that's, with... That's relatively fair, yes. Yeah, along with my thing with you and the freshest fruit and all that. Um, <laughs> so I would think that you would respond extremely positively when you can't see the trick, when you're legitimately led to believe there's magic happening. And it feels like that's what the show was for you, yes or no? More yes than no. Um, my thing with magic, since you brought up magic in particular... Mm -hmm. Knowing how the trick works, to me, makes the magic more impressive. Mm -hmm. Like there's because a good magician, even if you know how it's done, can still draw you in. Like mm -hmm. there's certain tricks that okay, everyone knows how they're done. So how is your performance? Like, well, that, I'm using it as a euphemism. Uh, no, no, uh, you see where things are yeah. going, and you more often than not respond negatively when you're like. I saw the end of Loki in the first five minutes of the first episode of Loki, and therefore this six-issue slog was a drag because I knew where this was going to end up, which I didn't like in the first place. And there's I a... wasn't going to change the schedule. And... <laughs> there's, a bit, there's a bit of that, and then the the count, the count kind of counterpoint. The, the, mm -hmm. If you know where things are going, mm -hmm. the journey becomes the most important part. And I think this okay. is true of... And that's not a bad thing. Like knowing, mm -hmm. you know, you go watch, you watch Die Hard. Right. You know what's going to, like even Sorry, before. He's going to win. Yeah. The good guy's going to win. The bad guy's going to lose. And the bad guy's going to die in the biggest explosion the budget will allow. Like we're okay. We all have buy-in for this. So how's the journey, right? Right. And that's where, you know, that's where my issues with a lot of film come right. from. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, so related to Odd Taxi, was this an enjoyable experience for you because you did not necessarily see the curves? In part, oh. yes. Okay. Um, there's certain curves that... You... This is the odd thing about this show. Like, at the end, there's two big twists. One of which the show expects you, the viewer, to have figured out. 
and the other not so much but we'll get to that when we get to the last episode but yeah i i like shows that even if i can guess at the ending the journey itself becomes instead of a straight line we have curves we have twists and the whole thing becomes a more enjoyable the journey is the journey is then made better the eccentric driver episode one a walrus named Otakawa wakes up from a nightmare in his taxi as he gets back to his shift. Listening to the radio while searching for customers, <clears throat> his next fare is a hippo named Kabasawa, who takes a selfie with him to go viral on social media. A pair of cops, the twin Damon brothers, pull Otakawa over and ask him if he knows the whereabouts of a criminal named Dobu. Otakawa denies it. After his shift, Otakawa talks to someone in his home through a closed door, though they do not respond. The next day, Otakawa pays a visit to his doctor, Guruki. The elder Damon sees Otakawa leaving the clinic and takes the SD card from his dash camera, threatening him not to tell anyone else. Later that day, Kakihana lies about his income on a dating app, hoping to find a woman like you do. Guruki gets a call from a nurse informing him that someone's been stealing drugs from the hospital with his own nurse, Shirakawa, suspected. Meanwhile, Shirakawa gets into... Otakawa's taxi, and Dobu gets an SD card handed to him by the elder Damon. Okay. So, I'll share my thoughts, then you go and um, we'll, we'll just kind of go back and forth. But, um, so right, there's a lot of... I don't want to just be dismissive by calling them mystery boxes, but there's a lot of open, we'll call them open threads. This, this is a great yeah. place to start a show. You know, we have a character who you're, who's interesting... But he's not bombastic. Um, the, the the premise in and of itself, you know, you have a you have a cab you have a cab driver who's very dry. You don't learn the extent of his mental illness just yet. Um, you get you get a hint at it, but for the most part, you're just kind of dealing with a very dry. It almost seems like you know just a very old, tired man, and he's driving a cab because that's what he does, um, and he has to deal with this variety of characters. But then by the end of the episode, you realize he's involved in a mystery of a missing girl. And you don't know how or why or to the extent of which the show is going to even deal with that yet. But you're like, OK, huh? this is the beginning of an interesting crime story that starts with a very dry old man who might be in over his head. Uh, so like I was immediately hooked by the end of the episode. You're you know, you've talked at length now about the first episode. Is there anything else you wanted to bring to attention? I think the last bit of comparison I want to make to this, um, this show reminded some people of Knives Out in the following sense. It's a mystery, mm -hmm. and it has to juggle a lot of stuff. And the writer for this deserves a tremendous amount of credit for our first like three episodes are while they advance the plot they all introduce new characters all of whom have something to do with what's going on oh my god when we get to the eraser kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a thing uh but that's this show juggles a tremendous amount of balls and does so incredibly well i mean most people who try to write stuff like this, there's always at least one plot mm -hmm. thread that gets unresolved that is not dealt with. It's either unresolved, badly resolved, and those are kind of the two options that for the stuff that doesn't get dealt with well. And there's a lot of that in a lot of stuff in this genre. And this show's first thing is here. Here's you know four characters. 
we have our main character. We have his doctor is going to be important. We have the nurse who may be around. We have the corrupt cop. Well, we have the cop brothers, one of whom is corrupt. And then, oh, by the way, here's this low-level Yakuza thug that we're going to start kind of poking around with. And the whole thing set against the backdrop of this missing girl. There's, you will know in the first episode if you're going to enjoy this show. I, I think that's also one of the great strengths of it. You know, there's a lot of shows that, you don't, you, you know, you show someone the first episode and they go, eh, I'm not sure. And you have to kind of go, okay, now give it like three to four episodes. <laughs> and by the time we get there, everything's cooking. This show starts off and it doesn't, you know, we're not cooking with gas right away because this is, this is a slow burn, but right away you you, you will know definitely every, preheating the oven you yeah you will know everything you need to know about the style of this show and whether or not you're going to enjoy it personally within this first episode so there's that and yeah i i i've talked to like you said we talked a little bit about this episode already a fair bit so i i enjoyed the episode i enjoyed i'm just gonna spoil this i enjoyed every episode like there's <laughs> there's maybe one that's a little bit weaker but this is a very tightly constructed 13 episodes of, you know, 25 minute, uh, you know, 20-ish minute episode. Like, this is a very tightly constructed season of television. How to spend a long night. Otakawa and Shirakawa talk about their respective past with each other. <laughs> Sing, uh, where are you from? Uh, this province. Sing a song from that province. She immediately starts singing and he goes, wow, you can actually do that on command. That's even scarier. <laughs> and end up exchanging phone numbers at the end of the taxi ride. Kakehana gets a match on his dating profile with a young woman named Shiho, who happens to be a backup singer with a new idol group called Mystery Kiss. Boy, was that not where I thought this was headed. I thought he was totally <laughs> getting... I was like, hey, he's getting catfished. You know, that, that, someone's after oh, his info. Either um, that, well, either that or he's going to get Chris Hansen. Yeah. Um <clears throat> After their last concert, the lead singer Ru notices their group seems to be having trouble gaining more attention and confides in her superfan, Imai, about it. Despite Imai's suggestions, Ru is shackled by the demands of her management. Imai ends up taking a ride in Otakawa's cab and manages to scam him into a ride <clears throat> despite having, despite barely having money after buying lottery tickets and merch for Mystery <laughs> Kiss. Otakawa's, yeah, that's funny. That was the funniest thing he gets. I have to go buy a lottery ticket now. Hey, you still have enough money for a lottery ticket. You should have paid me more. <laughs> Otakawa's next fair is a pair of comedians. I love these guys. These guys might have been my favorite part of the show. Dude, Baba and Shibagaki. The Homo and... Sapiens. Like, I could. This, like, the first time I watched this, I watched like the first two or three mm -hmm. episodes. And I had to stop because I couldn't do this week to week. Like, this is something I needed to binge personally. I would go nuts. Mm -hmm. So I waited, then I binged the whole thing. Second time through watching those guys, I just kind of went, yeah, that's my future, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I had a very similar thought. Um, uh, I was like, oh, is this what re me and Robert look like? Um, who a, warthog, up <laughs> a warthog and a giraffe. <laughs> oh, donkey. Not, He's the donkey, not the giraffe. That's about right. Uh, who end up fighting in a backseat over their partnership, though Otakawa finds it amusing. Baba suddenly gets a call to appear on a daytime show with Shibagaki. After dropping them off, Dobu enters the cab holding Otakawa at gunpoint from the backseat. So, yeah, you know, television should leave you wanting more, um, you know, with each episode. And, yeah, I binge this, too. Um, I, I've already talked about this, and I'm not going to go at, into anything at length. Just, 
you didn't hear me talk about it on Deadly Genesis. Uh, yeah, I got I got COVID, and it's so funny because you were like, "What if you don't have time to watch Food War?" And then I get COVID. I'm like, "Fuck, I have fucking butt time now." Yeah, <laughs> all of a sudden, I've got COVID. Well, suddenly your days just opened right up, didn't they? <laughs> well, what am I going to do now? I'll just upload every show I've ever done to Spreaker. Um, but well, never thing. mind that. Uh, but yeah, I um, I spent like a day and I think a day or two just knocking this whole thing out. But it worked out well for me because it's definitely one of those where at the end of every episode, you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Like, I, mm -hmm. like, there was no good stopping point. I wanted to know what was going to happen. And this was a really classic example of that. Like uh, him this... getting in the back seat with the gun, you know, and like that kind of shit reaction was great. Yeah, this, this, uh, this show reminded me a little bit in that respect of, I'm trying to remember, like the third season of Daredevil. Mm. I was unbelievably compelled to just watch that whole thing start as soon as I started. Got yeah. through the first episode and went, okay, nope, I need to know what happens. Like, I, this is not a good stopping point. 13 hours later. Like, <laughs> I had this... that happen to me with one season of Orange is the New Black. Don't judge the show. No judgment. Let's <laughs> talk about the experience where it was like, I started it late. I started when I think like either after a podcast or maybe 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, I'm just going to like, I think this might have been after the riot. So I wanted it. So like it was a cliffhanger ending when the one season ended with the riot and they were picking up after. And I'm like, I got to know what happened. Like oh, at the end, somebody got shot is what it was. So it was, it was the, the, it was the season that picks up after the riot. But the last thing you see was someone was shot. And if I remember correctly, and so I wanted to see who got shot and what was going to happen. And like, there was just so many things I had been waiting a whole year. So I'm like, I'm just going to watch the season premiere so I know what happened. And 10 hours later, <laughs> yeah, it was morning and I had watched the entire season. Yeah. And, and when you get shows like that, it, it's a really beautiful, I, I say this, it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Like when you get sucked in like that, it's, it, there's not a, there's not much of a better viewing experience than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, anything else about episode two before I move on? Uh, I liked his interplay with Shirak. Again, we, I mentioned a few of his bits of his interplay with Shirakawa. We are introduced to the Homo sapiens, the which is another. That's another bit that I, I'm never. I was not quite sure. Like, okay, so is this a comedy duo of anthropomorphic animals going by the Homo sapiens as a gag, mm -hmm. or is this two humans going by Homo sapiens because they're a manzai comedy duo? And, I mean, <laughs> bit of behind-the-scenes stuff for this. Um, the the voices of the two brothers, the cops, mm -hmm. are act are an actual Monsai comedy duo. And if you listen to the way the brothers interact, it's actually a better comedy sketch than anything these two guys do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so there. We're introduced to those two, and I love their interplay, man. Those two are great, and. And they're they're not great comedians in the sense that they're trying to mm -hmm. be comedic, but they're great for us as viewers of the show. And <laughs> there's how did my camera it did. Uh and they're actually kind of heartbreaking at the end for a variety of reasons. And I'm going to unplug my camera and plug it I, back in in just a second, but keep you going. You do that while I yeah, while I do episode three. Borrowed plumes and the bodyguard. <clears throat> At the sauna, at the Copa, Copacabana, at the sauna, Takihana accidentally overhears a phone call between Yakuza Lieutenant Kurata 
and Dobu about the missing girl case. Later, Dobu tries to blackmail Otakawa into giving up information on the girl who might have kidnapped her, but Otakawa refuses to play along. Otakawa tries to get the police's attention, but only the but only gets the elder Damon, who dismissed them both. Finally, Otakawa decides to work with Dobu when he threatens to harm Shirakawa. When Dobu leaves, Otakawa realizes he is very late for his date, almost hitting a pedestrian as he speeds towards the nearby park. Otakawa and Shirakawa meet at the park and watch the sunrise while taking while talking to each other. Later that day, Shirakawa notices Guriki didn't show up at his clinic. And Kakahana meets with Shiho for a date, unaware they are being tailed by two other individuals. All right. So when he almost hits the pedestrian, we're going to find out more about him in, I think, the next episode. Yes, we are. But it's such it's such a funny thing because, like, it happens and you don't realize the importance of it until well after it happens. But it, it's definitely one of those, like, the show is really, this is a structural thing, but this is an example of it. The show is very, very good about planting seeds. And it's like, okay, you might not know what the seed's going to grow into, but it's going to grow into something. And that's one of those moments. And, you know, and, and I just keep going back to your phrase about like shows that pay, that reward you for paying attention. You know, you can't dismiss anything that happens. And this is an example of that. You can't dismiss anything that happens in the show because you never know how much important it's going to play because I, I remember having to like i had to go back and read some of this over again and like oh that's what that was and like you know there, there was the show is so laden with things that are working on multiple levels and things that are you know that are going to be coming to play later on that are coming that, that that show up early on in the thing and you know and so by when it comes to its final conclusion and it all kind of resolves you're like wow you're not kidding when you say like this thing is like one of those lottery machines with all the balls flying around. Yeah, you know, really and it coalesces into this one beautiful globe, and you're like, I can't even believe that that happened. But it, I think that it occurred to me during this episode when I when I went back and thought about it upon reflection. Yeah, this is a this is a solid episode. Um, Dobu and Kuk and uh, Dobu and Otakawa's discussion is. Again, it's another very Tarantino-esque bit of dialogue that is kind of late, that is less overt than more. A lot of it is covert. I loved his, you know, gimmick of turning on the SOS sign without you know, let it without uh, alerting anyone. And then, of course, it's the older brother who's already in cahoots with Dobu. Right. <laughs> okay, going, hey, he's holding a gun on me. I don't see a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was uh, that was great. And then, you know. Uh, Dobu trying to find something to poke at him to get him to work along with him and finally finding it. And the animation for this, I need to stress this. In the hands of lesser animators or you know, a lesser studio, so much of this stuff would have been overreaction. Yeah. He finally brings up the girl that you just kind of started liking. And all he does in this to give to let us to clue us in that he's reacting, his eyes shrink a little bit and he sweats a little bit more. Yeah. Like he doesn't I, do the big anime ah, thing. Well, that, you know, we talked so about Demon Slayer. How much I fucking hate that. Like, I had a very like startling reaction. Like, I'm gonna keep comparing this to Food Wars. We're not gonna talk about Food Wars at length, but I think be, just because of how we landed on Odd Taxi through going through it, there are some comparisons I need to kind of make in style. 
And like, I get it. And I'm not here to crap on anyone's good time with how certain styles of anime. Certainly, I live with somebody, my fucking daughter, you know, who just loves all the things. But it's not for me. And I talked about that with Demons. Like, this is not news to anybody. Um, you know, that that overt reaction and then change in artistic styles. Yeah, you really I went get... back and forth about that. And I, I just hate it. And yeah, you really so don't much... like you don't like the swap to the chibis. Like that's really no. that's really not your thing. No, and that's the thing is that it, it was like when you're like watch Odd Taxi, and I'm two or three episodes into this, I'm like, oh, thank God the animation style is consistent. It's just <laughs> this is the way you know. I go back to like BoJack Horseman. BoJack Horseman for however many seasons that was, as silly as it was at times. We talked about that when we talked about BoJack Horseman about you know, like like the whale head, you know. <laughs> Love that guy. But Keith, you know, played by Keith Olbermann. Um, I think it was Keith Olbermann. You know, like things like that. Like we talked about how ridiculous it was. Like this, this would in no way work physically. But it, it's consistent within its own universe. There's not a radical change of animation from one season to the next. It's all consistent. It's all at the same level. And that is one of the most appealing things about Odd Taxi to me is make a world, make that world consistent. And I will be with you in that world, even if I hate it, but at least I can live in this world for 10 to 13 episodes when it's constantly changing and nothing makes any degree of sense. And it's going and it's all over the place. I, I it, it's fun. It's like wrestling, you know, where they say like you get lost in the match. I can't get lost in the show when you're constantly doing teacups with the animation style okay. or the aesthetic I, I style. Um, so that's why I like that's one of the things I like about odd taxi is other than like, like you see, if, you, if you're watching the video, you see the picture in the background. Um, you know, well, that's from the OP. That's the the opening bit of animation. Yeah, which is a glo- which is that opening. Believe it or not, like spoils mm-hmm. if you watch it, especially like looking back on it, it spoils a bunch of the show. Well, I thought this was going to be like South Park when I saw it. I was like, oh my god, is this ah, going to be like that? No, paper- no, no. <laughs> this going to be that like that paper mache style of animation, stop motion animation, and like, oh no, it's traditional animation. You know, anime style, but it's not over oh, whatever word you use, chibi. You know, it's not that kind of nonsense. So, um, all right. Uh, Robert uh, is messing around with his camera. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what's going on with that. Um, all right. Well, uh, you're currently audio only, so I will go ahead and there we read go. Tanaka's Revolution. <laughs> it's a revolution, baby. A black cat named Tanaka who works at a game development company goes over his life story. Oh, this is the most sad. I need this guy needs his own movie. This is such a sad story. You know, one of the oh, sorry, I forgot to mention the last thing mm-hmm. I liked about that previous episode. Okay. Um the alpaca that takes uh she takes Capoeira as a <laughs> Oh my god, I laughed was... so hard at that. Did you <laughs> that was the best? I I almost don't want to ask this because I don't want to mess up a fun thing for you with the thing you I remember you not like not loving, but I had very much a Patsy moment from um Jessica Jones where okay. you know you know what I'm talking about, where you know she's like, You you like how are you gonna like fight all these criminals? And she's like, I have something degree belts in and she she's done a bunch of different uh, what she, was yeah, she's taken she a bunch said, it was uh, one particular martial arts style that I oh that we she was about. Like a, uh, she was uh, I think she was doing a lot of Krav Maga training. Or that was it. It was Krav Maga, which I I had a huge laugh at, and you were like, "Don't laugh so hard," but yeah, laugh. 
Um, Krav isn't, you know, the dumbest thing you can take by any stretch mm -hmm. of the imagination, especially with a good school and a good instructor, but it's also the... It's one of the stereotypical, uh, you know, you can get this at the, you know, local YMCA kind of thing. <laughs> like that, it's one of those. Right, right. And well, I, that, but that's that was what was funny to me about the the Krav Maga thing, and it, it could, like when she started doing the "I'll defend you." I took Capoeira, and it was like Capoeira and Krav Maga is one of those white people things. It's like, like shut up, <laughs> like stop it, just knock it off. Um. All right, so. Tanaka's revolution. He spent a hundred thousand yen from his father's, uh, from his father's credit card in an online auction for a unique Danraku eraser that never arrived to feel special in his class. Tanaka's peers moved on from collecting erasers, and his dad beat him after discovering the charge in his credit card statement. Like you. Well, just, again, just kind of loosely for context. <laughs> Hundred thousand. You kind of want to like take a zero off of the conversion between yen and dollars, and it, this will change a little bit depending on is it one or two. I can't remember. So this was but a very Superman being. three moment. This is a very Superman three moment, where um, Gus, who is played by Richard Pryor, is messing around with and hacking computers like you do in the nineteen eighties, and um, and in doing so, like all kinds of credit card bills and bank statements are screwed up, and they and just to demonstrate this, they go to this one couple. And you see this wife, and she's I think like eating a melon or something, and she's like she, like you know magazine. She's um catalog shopping. She's like ooh this, ooh this, and they cut to the husband who's going over his bank statements, and he sees <laughs> what he thinks is her spending the gross national product of Yemen. Yeah. And and he takes some. He takes the grapefruit. I think it was. It just shoves it right in her face. <laughs> That. that kind of moment yeah just without the uh hacking interference obviously with this kid just being mm -hmm. kind of a dumbass um yeah so not a hundred thousand dollars more ten thousand still lots, somewhere between like ten and one like again the mm -hmm. conversion ratio is a little bit wonky but still you spend a th you drop a grand on a unique eraser especially if you're a small child yeah mark it, it, if your if your son you know, a year ago, charged a thousand dollars to your credit card buying something on eBay. Right. I imagine you react. I'm not going to accuse you of child abuse, but you understand. <laughs> yeah. If I had found a thousand dollar bill set for Amazon video games, yeah, yeah, there would be no television. There might not be any electricity in Jonas's room right now. So, and this is another thing that I want to briefly praise about the show. This kid gets beat by his dad. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing comical about it. No. Like, you know, the wife is desperately pulling him away from the kid after he gets knocked through a wall. Like, it, well, through a doorway. Like, it's in a different show, trying to be more lighthearted and friendly. Like, sure, the dad might, you might get a similar mm -hmm. sequence, but it's played a bit more for laughs than it is seriously and this guy gets knocked into a wall collapses and his face is all bruised up and swollen and there's no like there's zero levity to that and yeah that again that kind of deserves to be praised it's also, as not, a it's also not played choice. it's also not played for melodrama no it's just kind of this is the thing that happened to this child and sort of framed the story that that's going to unravel before us um and that's kind of it, it it's it's not it's neither played for sympathy 
nor melodrama, nor comedy. It is a thing that happened in this character's life, and it's important. And that's, and, uh, which is an odd take. Not a bad take, an odd yeah. take. Well, and the only other thing I want to mention about that, um, the dad is not normally, he's not chronically abusive. Like, that, there's right. nothing to indicate that. This was just, boy, you screwed up. Yeah, and boy, did this guy have an overreaction that he should not have had. I'm not at all condoning anything that he did. No, but I, I look, you should not abuse your child. That that goes without saying. But I think every parent has a moment in their life where you want to strangle them. <laughs> all things considered, you love your child, and that's why you didn't murder them in that moment. Because if you were not my child, if you were a stranger, yeah, I might have caved your... Like, this yeah, would have gone I, very differently if you were someone on the street. felony would have been committed. <laughs> yeah. After growing up and joining the game dev company, Tanaka got addicted to a mobile online game called Zuden. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I much felt, of this kid's... So I much of this guy's life I, I, I related to in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Spending large sums of real money to try and get the incredibly rare Dodo Bird in the game. One evening, Tanaka finally acquires his long-sought dodo until a cab driver, <laughs> cab driven by Otakawa, nearly hits him while he celebrates. As the cab swerves out of the way, Tanaka accidentally drops his phone in a nearby ditch. And after getting it repaired, discovers the game didn't register his dodo before it died. Tanaka falls into despair, wandering home, then heading to a nearby park to bury his now-dead cockatiel. However, while digging up some dirt to bury the bird... Tanaka discovers the gun that Dobu buried earlier. Later, after seeing Otakawa pass by in his taxi, Tanaka snaps and decides to use the gun to get revenge on him. This is the plot to Joker. A little bit. Jesus Christ. So, just real quick, when I was a kid, um, I lived across the street from a, from a kid who had all the Transformers. Um, his parents had, I, the whole neighborhood had money to one degree or another, but, you know, he his... He was on the richer side of had money than the poorer side of had money mm -hmm. in the neighborhood that I lived in, uh, the white neighborhood for, the, for those keeping score. Um, so this is north of 12 years old for me. And um, so he had all the Transformers and I guess uh, something had come out and I ended up getting this one Transformer that I thought he didn't have. And I was like, finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. I have a Transformer that Rob Israel doesn't have. And I was so proud of this one Transformer. And I had to call him and tell him. He lived across the street from me. And I'm like, Rob, you got to come over and see if it is that. Because I finally got it. And you don't have it. And I finally have something you don't have. You rich white boy, you. <laughs> and so he comes over. And he was like, yeah, I have that one. And the other three that are just like it from that particular toy line. And I got so mad. I can't imagine. <laughs> I got, I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> you know, just, I was just I had just <laughs> lost my fucking mind in that one moment that I, I was like, damn it, I can't have anything over anyone. And I kicked the wall. Now, I had kicked walls before. In my old house in the black neighborhood, I kicked walls, but the walls were different. I Where I was kicking them was different, and I never put a hole in them. You probably, well, not only were you larger now, you probably kicked a lot of very reinforced walls, a lot of yeah. uh, slat walls instead of just drywall. That would be correct, yes. Slat walls instead of drywall. So when I'm throwing a tantrum, like you do, um, and like when like your He-Man show doesn't work out the way you want it to. Don't poke the bear, man. <laughs> um, moving on. Uh, so, I'm throwing a, so I'm throwing a giant man tantrum. And 
he's laughing. He thinks I'm like just screwing around, but I'm like legit pissed. And I'm thinking at 12, I can kick the same wall with the same force that I could at four, five, six in a different <laughs> house. So I fucking punted the whole <laughs> the hallway and put my entire foot through the drywall. And I remember and I remember that like sense of panic that overwhelmed me in that moment, thinking there's not a piece of furniture in the house that I can move into this one spot to hide this from my parents because nothing goes here. It's the hallway between <laughs> bedrooms. There's yep. no furniture to be had. And it was like, there's no way I can get out of this. I'm going to have to explain to my dad, my very literal concrete Martian father, why I kick the wall because I have the same toy as Rob Israel. And that's why I related to this guy who has worked all this time and is just like his whole life is in is just in this one meaningless, utterly stupid achievement, but it's meaningful to him, and that's all that matters. And in just the second that he has it, that momentary bit of happiness, it is gone by some weird, bizarro twist of fate. And he and then goes home and his bird's dead, and it's just like that's it. I I must now kill everyone. <laughs> like I was like, man, <laughs> I I I dig you, brother. I dig the vibe. Uh, there's one other interesting little bit of detail here that comes into play later. the The person selling this Don Raku eraser mm -hmm. is uh, I forget the screen name, but years later when he gets the Zudin mobile game, mm -hmm. the guy who has the 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 best zoo, right? By however they the game chooses to rate that, mm -hmm. has the same handle <laughs> as the guy who took his his you know thousand yen or whatever his ten thousand yen mm -hmm. and never gave him the eraser. <laughs> like <laughs> it's another little twist of the knife in this guy. It's just like one of those like born loser things, like you know. You, you try to be a good person, you try to do the right thing, and things don't work out for you, in some cases less so than mo than other people of a similar stripe. And you're just like, why does God hate me? <laughs> like, why? How did I end? Why, why am I chosen to lose this much this often? It's, it, I, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but, you know, the, the group of neckbeards that viscerally reacted to Joker, there was a reason why, like, I, I, was kind of sympathetic to their frustration that people didn't see the value in Joker the way they should have. Like, I got why that movie spoke to so many people. Ditto. And especially when so much of the counter-argument was, don't you understand? We can't... Ins we, we This is inspiring violence. So just, oh. <laughs> I'll inspire some violence for you. <laughs> Uh, your, your ignorant take is inspiring more violence in the movie. <laughs> Two bald white guys cackling over, I'll inspire violence for you, boy. This is going in an FBI file. Eh, Again. Eh, <laughs> one more for the pile. Yeah, I, I dug this. You know, it was, a, it was a really bit... This episode feels a little bit odd. Like, it, mm -hmm. everything's going a certain direction. And then we get this, and it's it feels like... Because you know it's not a roadblock. Like, we're not stopping. Right. But you're not quite sure how this reconnects till the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. And then again until later at the end of the series when the when this character and what goes on with him 
reconnect in a pretty big way. We also get a nice little, um, this is hinted at, the Donraku eraser that he wanted to buy. We see, we saw in the first episode that uh, the alpaca has it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, th- that's one of the things I love about this show. Everything interconnects. It all right. weaves and touches and... You said, you know, you've got, this is the, you know, uh, this is the, the lottery machine with all the balls. And then at the end, they all merge into one, <laughs> into one thing that's great. Yeah. All right. Speaking of Ultron, um, the show is so good. You wouldn't need something like Grammarly to help you write a better show. But, you know, Grammarly is a great thing to have anyway. It really uh, is. Because it is. Grammarly's <laughs> AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake for you on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly, let me tell you something about Grammarly. I wish I used Grammarly more often because my autocorrect keeps keeps changing new into knee, N-E-E, with like a accent mark over the middle E. And I'm like, when did I ever say <laughs> nya, whatever the fuck that is? Like, I, I, I don't understand why it's changing knee, new into knee. And, and this is more, more relative to something that happened recently, why it's changing cold to Coke constantly and making me uh, an embarrassment on Twitter. If only I had something as wonderful as Grammarly, which helps you correct hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. It'll stop changing cold to Coke. <laughs> it'll, it'll do all the things you need it to do. <laughs> Um, it'll stop changing my ham-fisted terrible typing into God only knows what. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All righty. Um, let's go ahead and, uh, go to episode number five. Don't call me an idol. Call me baby metal. No. Um, Yamamoto oh, baby, baby metal is an idol group. <laughs> Yamamoto uses Otakawa's taxi to pick up various members of Mystery Kiss for practice. As Otakawa drops off, uh, drops Yamamoto off at his office, he lets slip that he dropped off another girl near the office two weeks ago. Yamamoto offers to buy Otakawa's dash cam data off of him, but he refuses to sell it at that time. Meanwhile, Otakawa is unaware that Tanaka is tailing him in another cab to find out where he lives. Later that night, Yuriki shares some tea with Otakawa and announces he's planning to close his clinic for a while, and he's afraid of being blamed for the hospital's missing drugs, even if Shirakawa is the culprit. Next, Otakawa is called by Dobu. During the ride, Dobu confirms that Shirakawa was stealing drugs and selling him to pay off her loans, but her meeting with Otakawa was entirely separate from that. In return, Otakawa tells Dobu about Yamamoto. Meanwhile, Kakihana goes out on a date with Shiho at a fancy restaurant. Shiho looks through her phone and shows Kakihana a picture of an Imai supposedly winning the lottery and Kabasawa making a viral video swearing to hunt down Dobu after he appeared in his last selfie. Like you do. Kakihana pays him for his meal in cash as he drop as a drop receipt shows he took out a loan to keep up his facade of being rich for Shiho. It was not a small loan. Don't like it. Look, I, we all get it, man. Women like a rich man, but don't don't fake the funk because you're not gonna be able to keep up the ruse. Um, so what do you think of this episode? We get a lot of good stuff here. And this is another point where 
this show does a great job of posing questions to you that it will answer, but it kind of lets you, it strings you a lot. Like the big thing with Otakawa here is, did he kill that girl? Like <laughs> there's a lot, you know, he gave her a ride. That's been more or less confirmed. He's talking to a disembodied girl voice in his apartment. And, and there's just enough there that, and especially with the tone that the show establishes, mm -hmm. you know, you know, we're rooting for this guy, but somewhere in the back of your head, there is a, you know, he might've done it. Right. Like he's a lit, even if this it's world. One of those things where like, did he do it in a blackout state when he was in an altered mental state? Like, you don't know. And that's like the whole thing about like his mental illness as a, you know, in, in terms of one of the things at play is you don't know if this is a story about a guy who has blackout moments because of his mental illness, who then does bad things. He mentions at one point that he can't sleep. Right. Like that, that he forgot how to, he forgot how to fall asleep and you go without sleep long enough, man. And you, well, I, I was thinking about like fight club, you know, okay. when, um, Tyler, what's his nuts? Um, when Ed Norton blacks out and becomes Brad Pitt, he has no recollection of what Brad Pitt's doing. Yeah. You know? And so he kind of, you know, another example of this, a slightly different example is the one iteration of the Hulk where, um, it was the exact opposite of how the Hulk normally works. I've talked about this before, but like basically instead of being, whenever it was, it was like whenever he was calm, he was the Hulk, but when he was angry, he was Banner and Banner was doing things while the Hulk was out of it. And he was like, <laughs> that's awesome. And, and the Hulk is waking up going, what the fuck did you do now? You know, um, I, it was I think the story was like called like, don't get angry or something like that. I can't remember anymore, but it was definitely one of these weirdo things where the Hulk was the sane one and uh, and Banner was nuts. All right, um, let's go ahead and move on to the next episode just to save some time here. Let me hear what you say. What the hell, man? Imai shares with Otakawa that using his lucky numbers from his last cab ride got him a winning lottery ticket. So he decided to treat him to a free VIP session at the Cabaret Club where he works part-time. However, Otakawa feels out of place in the club like you would, and is forced to flee when a masked gunman shows up. Shibagaki, who also works at the club part-time, manages to distract the gunman and almost gets himself shot for his troubles. I loved his line about that, mm. too. Like, why did you... There was a gunman there. Why'd you do that? I thought if I got shot, it would at least be funny. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like something I would say. Like, well, why you would are... you let yourself get shot? Because it's funny. Well, again, like you and I identified way too hard with those two guys. You ain't kidding, Buster. Elsewhere, Kakihana takes out another loan. Later that night, Shirakawa finally tells Otakawa the truth that she was in debt to Dobu for four years and still owes. Her. Oh, if this is if this, if I'm remembering correctly, and this is that park bench thing where he breaks up with her, this broke my bit. heart. Oh, uh, look, you knew this was going to happen because this, yeah. is this, this is the structure of every show like this. Sure, like him not having the moments of regret and stay away from me for both your own good and my good. And you're not quite right. Like this is every, this, this scene, some variation mm -hmm. of this is in every show like this. Yeah. It's all in how you do it. And this yeah. show, mm. this messed me up, man. Even after her little capoeira dance, he's still like, I'm, I'm not into your crazy. Leave me alone. And it's like, ugh, why can't he be happy and find love and sanity? Uh, for four years and still owes him three million yen due to extortionate interest. And that's why you don't take loans from the mob. 
That's he true. initially approached Otakawa as Dobu helped to use him as a gateway driver into a future bank heist, but Shirakawa claims she soon developed genuine feelings for him instead. <sighs> Never fall in love with your mark. Uh, Otakawa leaves her, not wanting to get involved any further. However, the next day, Dobu meets Otakawa in his taxi again, complaining that Kabasawa's viral videos are making life difficult for him. <laughs> that was funny. Oh, the age of the internet. Uh, Dobu offers to find the shooter and restore Garuki's clinic if Otakawa will help him find Kabasawa. Otakawa adds a condition that Dobu cancel the rest of Shirakawa's debt, and Dobu agrees. Meanwhile, Baba has a packed schedule full of TV shoots and is in a secret relationship with Rue, while Shibagaki has trouble setting up a practice time for their comedy routine. Oh, this poor bastard. All right, so 50 words or less, episode six. This is another, ep this is another example of what makes this show so good. Mm -hmm. You've got all these seemingly disparate points that all interconnect that all take these little twists and turns and that all makes sense. Like when, uh, when Otakawa says, yeah, sure. I'll help you out. I'll help you, you know, do this thing. And they, they assume that the hippo has the gun because he's the one, uh, I forget why they assume that or no, sorry, they don't, my mistake. They, they, you know, they want to get uh, Dobu's gun back because it's his gun and he needs his firepower back. You've got the you know the hippo guy turning into a vigilante who in an episode or so is about to start pimping his Patreon. <laughs> Come join our Discord server. <laughs> like you get all of that in him, and it's great. Uh, but when he uh, when they break up on the park bench, yeah, that's oh, that's such a good scene. You know, he just he wants you know love like everyone does and to be happy. And then well, it turns out the girl that says she likes me, I can't really trust her at the moment. Well, yeah, she was conning him in the beginning. And there's another kind of, there's a slight, uh, in, you know, there's another angle to this. I've now become involved with the mob. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. I just wanted to drive my cab. What the so, hell, man? So now, so not only did, you know, you conned me a little bit, and I'm a little bit hurt by this, but now I'm entering into a very dangerous endeavor, <laughs> and I want to protect you from that, so this is not a good time. For, like, it's the interactions here and kind of the interplay is really, really great. Um, you know, the, the scene at the club when, uh, which we already talked about a little bit, but you know, that goes a little bit viral. You've got our deranged Joker guy still running around trying to kill Otakawa. <laughs> the, the homo sapiens not being able to establish practice time and their thinking, conflict. I was thinking about the black cat and now I'm reminded of like the blues brothers and uh, Carrie Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> Just... A little bit. A little, a little over the edge. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Just a bit. Mm. Uh, you've got the constant conflict between the Homo sapiens as Baba is starting to take off as his own kind of thing. He's doing a lot of, you know, on the spot uh, television spots and you know hosting like quasi reality. Like the, he he's starting to take off a little bit, and poor Shigaraki is. Boy, we really need to rehearse our gimmick if we're going to advance in the uh, the improv contest. You know that kind of. <laughs> uh, their interplay is great. I love their relationship throughout the whole thing, just mm -hmm. quite frankly. Finding out that he and uh, Ryu are kind of, uh, they're a thing, and that balance, like, it's another little nuance to not only her character, but to his, because we're still not sure, you know, how certain things are playing out. And we know a little bit that this, um, 
that this idol group is not quite on the up and up because of how Yamamoto's been acting. Uh, it, we're just still kind of trying to juggle all these things, and it's all it, it weaves together into this lovely, like deep textured project that uh, as it continues to unfold. Yeah, this could have very easily been like a live action show with humans and not anthropomorphic animals in the cartoon. It you would not have, but it not would not have changed the quality a single bit. Um, after being unable, uh, trick or treat episode seven. After being unable to find Kabasawa, Otakawa returns home to find someone shut a bolt through his window, which is a like terrible way to. <laughs> it's a terrible way to enter your enter your house. Like, oh, I got to deal with this shit now. Otakawa window, and I got to yank this thing. I got to call the cops, and here's little diamond. <laughs> yeah, um, Otakawa gets the attention of the younger Damon brother, while the shell casing, with the shell casing, and tries to get his help to arrest Dubu. So it's funny. Um, this is where. Like I just thought, one. I just thought the cops were just like incompetent. I didn't, for whatever reason, and maybe just because I was distracted or sick or who knows what. I did not pick up until this podcast that one of them was in cahoots with the mob. He's I, only I was, taking a payoff from Dobu to get the SD card desk. Somehow got past me. Okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. But like, it was, it was at this point I realized this is this is beyond. There, this is where I was like, oh, they're on the take. Well, the <laughs> again, Big Diamond is definitely on the take. Yeah. The younger uh, little the the younger one is this gloriously like naive like Otakawa's discussion with him about the nature of justice <laughs> was so like here you have this concrete walrus mm -hmm. and this aspirational dog mm -hmm. and the way they have to figure out how to communicate was like to get through to each other was great. The younger Damon agrees, but still suspects Otakawa of hiding the Nerima missing girl in his house, despite Otakawa's flat denial. Damon gets called away to deal with a dead body before he can search Otakawa's room. Meanwhile, Kakahana spends the evening hiding out from the Lone Shark's henchmen. When they leave, Kakahana meets <laughs> with Chiho. That poor guy, man. But gets knocked out by Yamamoto. Elsewhere, Shirakawa confesses to Garuki about her work with Dobu, and Garuki asks for help to save Otakawa during Shibuya's Halloween festival. Otakawa accidentally runs into Yano before meeting with Dobu in the hopes of flushing out the skull mask gunman. Oh, Yano. And Kabasawa, Otakawa, and Dobu follow a skull masked man, but discover it's the wrong person that Kabasawa's tapes the scene from his phone, then flees before they can catch him. Across town, Yano begins his work torturing Kakihana. All right, your thoughts on episode seven? Oh, I love that. When this show starts picking up, like, this show acceler it starts out slow, but like any good slow burn, there comes a flash point when suddenly everything takes off. Mm -hmm. And I think this is more or less that episode. We've now, I mean, the introduction of Yana, who we've known kind of by name because Dobu explains that he's kind of a rival underling in this same rank in their, in their uh, you know, gang clan. They're both underlings trying to win the favor of their boss, who is actually the uh, Tapir that we saw... A scene that we didn't talk about, but Kakihana sitting next to that guy and thinking he's talking to him, but he's actually on the phone. Oh, up? that's so good. I, I love mean, that. It, it, it's it's kind of it, it's definitely a little film trophy, you know, but it not a it's film trophy, but not as seen often as you might think. Yeah. And when you and when it's it, it's when it's executed well, when they really get you with it, you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. You know, it's very effective. And I, and I thought this was a well-done scene. 
So we're, here we're introduced to Yano, the rapping <laughs> porcupine. Mm -hmm. now, speaks... uh, I have to I have to talk. How much Japanese are you familiar with? Like, not a you, lot. Like, do you, like do you understand any Japanese? I'm I wouldn't ask if you could speak it, but do you understand a lot of it? Uh not I wouldn't say a lot. Not not by any stretch of the imagination. Rap in foreign languages fascinates me. Because oh, what what rhymes rhyming scheme? Well, the entire rhyming convention for the Japanese like the Japanese language doesn't rhyme the same way that the English language does. Like, I, and I, I'm just, not an expert, but I know enough to like, even in not concrete rhyme. Like, okay, so again, not not to get too much on a tangent here, but there was a band that I followed for a little bit of while. I think it was called Crash, and everyone thought there was Sepultura or Soulfly for the longest time, and I know that. Because I used to, like everybody else, steal music through LimeWire. And everything on LimeWire was labeled wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and half of it was a virus anyway. And half of it was a virus. I lost many a computer that way. Still worth it. Still worth it. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't steal a, you wouldn't download a car. Screw you, I would if I could. <laughs> so, um, so for the longest time, there was a smoke on the water cover by what everyone thought was Soulfly and or Sepultura. And it was Crash, and they were they were a Korean thrash metal band. Okay. Uh, as I would come to find out later, I actually at one point owned the CD uh, because I would not accept the fact that that wasn't actually Sepultura. I did my until, research until you and, needed until you needed actual you needed evidence. I needed evidence, yes. So anyway, um, but you know, and and the whole song sung in English or whatever, but like the incantation, uh, incantation, but the tone, rhythm. the rhythm, everything is different because these guys are like like Koreans, mm -hmm. like. And the whole way they speak is differently, even when they're speaking English. So I can only imagine what this sounds like in another language. And for somebody who listens to as much Finnish music and Swedish mm -hmm. and um, you know Norwegian as I do, like I've heard, I have definitely heard a lot of metal in a lot of different languages. And so just going back to rap for a moment, like things that rhyme and the whole way that you produce rhythm in one language doesn't sound like that in another language, even when the trans, even when it's like translated. So like, it was so like when he would speak and like, I'm very much into like speaking in a rhythmic rappy kind of way. I find it fascinating. It, it's, it's soothing to me. I enjoy it. And I think I enjoy anything with a little bit of rhythm to it. Um, and so he's talking and it's so funny because none of the English rhymes, none of it. Very little of it. But the but I could tell if I listened closely once I caught up on to his gimmick, his Japanese definitely flowed. And that's what I was asking you, like, you know, it, it, how much could you key into how much of what he was saying was in like a traditional rhyme pattern or not? Uh, a lot of it. Again, the, the entire rhyming scheme for the Japanese language is different just because it, it is a wildly different language from English. Mm hmm. Um, I've had a little bit of exposure to elements of Japanese rap, mostly through other anime properties. Um, specifically, uh, you know, Devilman Crybaby has that whole has that as a whole kind of running theme, when, especially when she meets that group. Yeah. Uh, the director of that has a bit of an obsession, like like his genuine affection for the youth, and, and kind of the uh, hip hop and rap elements in particular. Um, there's a similar sequence in Japan Seeks, Sinks 2020, which is done by the same director, where as part of the processing mechanism for some of the trauma that all these poor guys have been through as they try to survive the literal sinking of their country, they sit around and rap about their problems. 
and so again i am not an expert by any stretch of the imagination but he's uh but i i've seen a little bit of it and mm-hmm. once you figure out what he's up to yeah you can kind of follow along with it okay. uh, he's a fun little character like that and you know, he goes everywhere on a scooter <laughs> and he gets away with it not like matt riddle yeah i liked him i i think he's a fun like little Yakuza character. Um, poor Kakihana finally tries to find himself a woman. <laughs> goes in debt to various loan sharks. <clears throat> Hang on, I gotta talk to you about that. All right. And I and I don't want a dissertation if you have a dissertation prepared. I just kind of want like a fifty word or less answer. Okay. Because well, because if you have a dissertation, we're gonna be here for eight hours discussing. I will. I will. I will not uh, lecture. How much of? How much and why of Japanese culture? is seemingly inspired by lonely men and how did it get to be that way? Ooh, whoa that's okay, uh, <laughs> okay. I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go get green tea. no 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 no, no. Just, just give me a i'm gonna tr- i am not an expert on this okay let me, no, let me and, and that's right. i'm not asking you to give me a sociology paper and 50 pages on the uh the dating habits of japanese men but i'm not wrong that that has leaked its way into various elements of Japanese media culture mm-hmm. to the point where I, who don't consume a lot of it, have noticed it. Um, again, some of this is cultural issues that you have to trace back. I mean, is this and, like and the, the net result of the atomic bomb? Yeah. God. I mean, we're dealing with the only country in the world that has <laughs> been, that has been said by yes, so move on. <laughs> sort of it. <laughs> In the aftermath of that, especially in the aftermath of the American occupation, right? Mm-hmm. Because America was there for quite some time as they kind of rebuilt, and then we left. And then Japan. This all kind of stems a little bit from the boom of Japan in like the 80s and 90s. Okay. You remember when we, you know they Where were, we building... were smashing Toyotas with bats? I got it. Yeah, yeah. You, you were alive for that period yep. of time. Like we, uh-huh. we remember this. That that uh, boom for productivity came around. Uh, it drove. I mean, it's this combination of sort of Western consumerism mm-hmm. mixed with the traditional Japanese value structure. And again, I am okay. not an expert on this. So anyone that knows more than I am is free to yell at me. No, no, keep going. Created this little bit of an unholy blend of you go to school, you come out of, you are recruited out of high school for a job for a salary more often than not. Dave is going to be so mad he missed this conversation. Go ahead. And, I know, and he's going to correct me, but you, you your, your, gra- your graduation from high school is a big deal because you have to get placed into a university. Mm. That becomes a big deal because then that's what will determine your future, where you go, where you work for you. I mean, you've, you, you get some of this in a Gretzko, which I know you've seen all of and have talked yeah. about. You get that grind because the Japanese mindset is a little bit different. It likes to be ordered. It likes to be productive. It likes to be doing things for honor, for et cetera, et cetera. Let me jump in. If Europe and Japan went through the same sort of evolution coming out of World War II where they had to rebuild a their devastated mm-hmm. community, and you know, and, and that's what happened, you're, you know, Europe might as well have been atomic bombed for all it went through. In a lot between, of respects, yes. Between Germany, France, and England and uh, in poland um and so you know that that is why the u.s and the soviet union did what they did from the 1950s to the 1980s because there was no competition yeah but you know but and here's the only reason why i'm bringing this up europe doesn't seem to europe went in a different direction europe didn't seem to obsess over its lonely men 
and it's only become a huge cultural touchstone. It did in Japan. It did in Japan because, again, you're dealing with a cult. Europe was very westernized mm -hmm. prior to World War II. Now, I don't, sure. I'm not trying to at all I mean, to it say was the West. Yeah. Japan was not a third world. Like, let me be clear. Japan was not a third world country. But Japan's industrialization, as it had gone along, was it not... happened over a 30-year period from the 1900s to the beginning yes. of World War II. If you look at when mainland Japan was bombed in places, I don't even mean the atomic bomb. Right. There were places that were people uh, that were bombed where everything was made of wood. Mm -hmm. Like whole cities. I forget the specific name, so forgive me. All right. So this but, is... But so... there, there's, there are horror stories. I think it's Tokyo, actually. There are horror mm -hmm. stories about the Tokyo firestorms mm -hmm. where the kind wood of... was aged and it, and it burned so hot it carbonized people. Like, so kind of like Chicago times 100? Yes. Okay. So point so, being, so you, some you, of this is trauma, collective trauma. A little bit, yeah. Then you get just the people who jump on the grind of mm -hmm. you go to school and you do well, and then you go to university and then you do well, and then you get a job and you do well, and somewhere along the line is you have to get married and you have to have a family because this is what we do. And right. you do this when was that supposed to happen? When was I supposed to socialize and meet women or meet yes. men? When everything else was a priority yeah when and then you also kind of run a little bit into the counterculture mm -hmm. the people who go well no i don't want to do i don't want to get i don't you know <laughs> i want to be an artist i want to be a whatever like right. this is not unique you know, japan this is not unique to a problem for japan but then you suddenly have you know if, once this germinates and iterates a handful of times mm -hmm. you suddenly have a class of working people who are you know all about their i shouldn't say all about again it's a very broad generalization who are big into the uh financial big into the you know the jobs mm -hmm. then you have the other people who are trying maybe a little bit more for personal fulfillment in inter internally as opposed to externally but now you've developed a fairly a, a non-trivial gulf in expectations for women what? about what do you want in a partner do you want someone who is a salary man who is working sometimes mm -hmm. crazy hours but so gives me... you but gives you stability or the janitor who might be <laughs> a happy-go-lucky guy but who's making and and japan is just kind of keyed in a little bit because they are because they have evolved so rapidly over the last hundred and so hundred or so years, mm. you know, like go back to 1921, look at Japan, then look at Japan. Now there's <coughs> their progress was rapid. So, Let me jump in here. There's a segment of the U S male population who is hyper-focused on success mm -hmm. and did not socialize maybe as much as they should have. And then they get fame and fortune and power and they still don't have those social skills. And so they may marry the trophy wife. They may not, but they definitely end up with hookers because they don't have a set of social skills for dealing with real people, but they do have money to replicate the social interactions that they crave and desire like any human being would. But that's a small portion of the human population because part of being an American is being hyper-socialized. Yes. Um, boy, has that pendulum swung way too far in one direction. 
Yes. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think as you're talking, and I say that out loud, it seems like that small portion of white men in America is a huge portion of all men in Japan. Yes or no? Again, I am not the right guy. Dave would be the right guy to ask about this, not me. David mm-hmm. Wright from our Canadian office. But if, if we're just talking... all men, by the way. That was a I don't know. I, I know what you're... Like, we're, we're speaking broadly here, so please sure. don't... Don't jump on us, anybody. <laughs> that, all, all men are asexual. Go on. Go on. <laughs> I, I think that's kind of true. Like, uh, especially if you look at how like high school is structured in Japan, mm-hmm. like you do a lot of stuff with your class for all four years. Mm-hmm. Like, and your classroom is, you know, your classroom. It is this 30 people. These 30 people are your social circle. Whereas here in America, it's, you know, I, I had my graduating class, my graduating class, you know, however many hundreds <laughs> or thousands of people. Right. Like that was that was like a like a thesis topic for sociology, the demarcation and click lines of your class. Like somebody that was like that was the theme of his speech. Like our graduating class was like most classes coalesce. Somehow or other, we managed not to. <laughs> like yeah, uh, but and that is a definitely a yearly cultural phenomenon. Uh, and I think part of the uh, part of the reason Japan might <laughs> fixate a little bit more on the lonely men is a lot of lonely men wind up creating. Mm-hmm. or influence creativity and japan is a bit you know, the united states has gone you can argue whether or not this is a good thing has sort of de-emphasized the importance of family uh, as a culture whereas in japan familial bonds getting married having a family mm-hmm. is still very much an encouraged expected cultural hallmark and again you can argue and either of these ext- taken to any extreme is bad and i personally for religious and deeper philosophical reasons i find the american move away from the nuclear family and what it represents to be a horribly bad thing in fact it is something of a sign of the end of times depending on how literal you want to get but that's a whole other thing again whole other thing tune in next tuesday when two neckbeards (laughs) decide to dissect the japanese culture this on next week's show hentai (laughs) you know you joke (laughs) not you could, in fact, people do, have somewhat deep discussions about what that whole genre says about the nature of humanity. I have questions. All right, we got to move this on. Um, all right. Dexter, uh, do you have it in front of you? Do you have the wiki in front of you? Uh, I do. Okay, well, I'm going to go get a drink. I'm not even going to turn my camera off. So um, everyone gets to see how fat I am. <coughs> go ahead and read, read the... Uh... This is summary for episode eight. I will yeah, be well, I'll be right back. So episode eight, after Kakihana gets a beating from Yano and his thugs, who are running what's referred to, and this is a badger game. It's basically the attractive young woman poses as someone single, leading to the arrest uh, and will trawl online for wealthy single men. Uh, they are eventually then kidnapped and forced to pay to not be killed. Uh, it, it's not an uncommon scam in some variation across any group, any you know, any place. But unfortunately, Yano realizes that Kakihana is not what he said he was, <laughs> and this you know, distresses him. But he's not quite sure what to do with Kakihana. Uh, meanwhile, Odukawa and Dobu are plotting their next move, but he gets a call from Yamamoto to take Shiho and himself to a warehouse. This is actually where Kakihana is being held. Um, Dobu gets uh, Otakawa to make a very specific request of Yamamoto 
if Yamamoto wants to buy his SD card uh, that shows, you know, the dead idol, uh, dead idol, spoiled a little bit of that, but the, the missing girl, who we are going to find out is dead very shortly, uh, to make to make an offer for a billion yen. And his reaction to this is going to be fairly telling about where he stands on things. Um, so, <laughs> Otakawa drops them off and they go into a warehouse and resume torturing his best friend, Kakihana. <laughs> was... Oh, boy. Um, Shiho yells at Kakihana about how their relationship was never real and he breaks down because he thought it was. Uh, meanwhile, Goriki... Invites Otakawa out for a drink and is trying to figure... He he theorizes that what Otakawa has, and part of the reason he has a good memory for people, once he sees them and they make an impression, he can always find them in a crowd or, in, or something like that. He believes this to be synesthesia, which is a real medical condition where di your senses get mixed up. Uh, the kind of classic example is people who hear... If you hear dialogue, if you hear you know, spoken words, you will see them. Instead of just hearing them, you visually see them and the new spider-man trailer sure <laughs> uh anyway they try to invite kakihana out for this drink as well but he's still tied up and being you know abused but after yano hears about the offer that y yamamoto relays to him he begins to suspect that dobu involved <clears throat> is somehow involved because no one else would make this ridiculous claim um a little bit later odakawa is able to record himself and Dobu planning to rob a bank, by which they mean the lottery winner, Imai, who we've already met before. They want to take him to the bank, have him cash it, and then rob him as he is leaving. Uh, and he's going and part and he lays out his whole plan. This also includes the use of the older Diamond Brother. Um, he sends this evidence to the younger Diamond to try and convince. Uh, then he tries to get Imai to retract his social media post and then hide him out because Odakawa has formulated his own plan about this. But while chatting with Imai, Odakawa realizes what happened to Kakihana. He remembers where he saw the calico cat that is... Uh... Sorry, the name just escaped me and I can't find it. Uh, she, uh, Shiho. He remembers where he saw her before and has figured, suddenly is able to figure out what happens to Kakihana, what happened to Kakihana, leaving us on a bit of a cliffhanger as he charges off to save his best friend. All right. So your thoughts on this episode real quick. Another really solid episode. Um, the plot that Dobu comes up with is kind of clever, actually. Uh, so kudos for that. I mean, the, the line kind of running along is, you know, Dobu wants to rob a bank and everyone just kind of goes, in this day and age, really? <laughs> and Dobu's response is, well, everyone's, the fact that no one's expecting it is what makes it a great time to rob a bank. And like, he's not wrong. <laughs> like the, the, it is. It's a great little gag. Um, the discussion about uh, Otakawa possibly having synesthesia is an interesting one. It's also something that doesn't actually like. It's kind of a red herring. It really is because it's not what's actually wrong with him. He might actually yeah. have some form of it as a result of what happened, but we'll get to that in a couple of episodes. Um, poor Kakihana, man. This episode, you know, if you didn't feel for that guy before, as he's getting kicked around by the polar bear, when Shio is just screaming at him, you useless sack of crap. <laughs> the reason I want to get out of the Badger game is because I hate spending time with low lives like you. Like, <laughs> if that doesn't just... <laughs> Again, break your heart just a little bit. You might, you're more dead inside than I am, you know? <laughs> All right. Um, episode nine, The Hero's Melancholy. 
which is oh, the name of my new, which is the name of my new band album. This is a great episode. <clears throat> Odakawa tries to get the younger Damon's help, but Damon is reluctant to arrest his older brother or pursue Dobu inside of his jurisdiction. Later, Odakawa tries to get Dobu's help to rescue Takahana while sending a message to Kabasawa to meet Dobu at the same location. As Kabasawa starts to have regrets about his sudden online fame, <coughs> while Odakawa is driving Dobu, the masked gunman tries to kill Odakawa again while driving a white van. Can I just say, for as low, for a, and when I say low budget, I don't mean that as an insult, but this was, this is not, you know, studio bones. You know, this is not, uh, this is not of the animation budget that, you know, something like Demon Slayer or My Hero Academia, like any of those, or, you know, the first season of One Punch Man, which are just beautiful, beautiful action sequences. Mm -hmm. For as low as the budget is for this stuff, I love that chase scene, man. That was kind of cool. <laughs> Fair enough. <clears throat> Odakawa manages to lose him <clears throat> and heads towards the harbor. As Dobu gets in a fight with Sakaguchi, Odakawa rescues Kakihana. Dobu is shot in the leg by an unseen assailant just as Kabasawa shows up to take credit. But Dobu quickly subdues Kabasawa and forces <laughs> him to give up <clears throat> his social media account and money as payback for stirring an online crusade against him. That was hilarious, man. I loved that so much. <laughs> Later, Giruki pays a visit to Otakawa's home and instead finds his landlady, who mentions that Otakawa has been supported through childhood through a mysterious foundation who paid for his rent and basic necessities after a tragic accident. However, Otakawa insisted on making money to pay the rent himself when he got older and asked the landlady to return the extra money. She then reveals to Giruki that both of Arakawa's parents are dead. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Anything about episode nine? Uh, the reveal about his parents <clears throat> is something you should have picked up on through Otakawa's flashbacks. Mm. But it's still nice to have it confirmed. that The confrontation between Dobu and the hippo was just <laughs> like every online guy who thinks they're that guy running into yeah. that guy. Like it always goes like that. Like <laughs> This guy even even shot in the leg. Dobu is just like, nah, I will, I will, buddy, I will beat the crap out of you. Ah, don't hit me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got a serious kick out of that. Um, because they, they rescue Kakihana here, and that's that's really nice. You know, him looking out for his friend. I appreciated that. You know, we got a decent enough fight between Dobu and the polar bear. Uh, nothing earth shattering, but they constructed some fun sequences, like they're opening the door and trying to debate about who's going in first and then the polar bear charges out through the through the you know, open space uh is there anything else from this episode um i think there was one other thing i'm i, I th no i think i'm mistaken because uh, i talked a little bit about the brief little car chase uh it's to this show's credit that it it does such a good job of trying to make of trying to ground the action in reality that when there's a car chase, you know, it's not, you know, we're not dealing with anything, you know, Hollywood-esque here, or you know, even, you know, very high-budget animation. But you still get a little bit tense because, you know, you get shot in this world, it's like you get shot. Right? <laughs> a car wreck is a serious thing. So, uh, kudos for that. Uh, this is, you know, a solid enough episode. 
episode 10. <clears throat> we have no bananas for tomorrow. Oh, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> don't sing Sato that song. <laughs> I, 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 have, I have trauma with that song. Satoshi demands Shibaki, Shibagaki team up with him after Homo sapiens loses the comedy competition. But Shibagaki refuses. Imai posts a fake lottery ticket on his social media to throw off the Yakuza. But Yano quickly sees through the ruse and continues his plan to rob him. Love that, by the way, just for the record. <clears throat> um, Yano and uh, his associate, the polar bear, just through social media clues, they kind of Sherlock Holmes where he's actually staying. Sekiguchi uses context of Imai's older posts and online listings to pinpoint his current home. Meanwhile, Yamamoto tries to bargain with Otakawa again for his dash cam data. Otakawa tries to loop Yamamoto in on his own scheme to take down Yano and Dobu. <coughs> but Yamamoto tries to strangle him to death like you do. <clears throat> Until Shirakawa appears and rescues Otakawa at the last minute. With Yamamoto tied up, Otakawa finally gets him to help take down Yano in exchange for saving Mystery Kiss from being involved in the controversy. Later, Dobu goes over the final points of his heist plan with Otakawa. After he leaves, Otakawa goes over his own twists of the plan with Yamamoto, Imai, and the younger Damon individually. Then Otakawa goes to the sauna where he meets Karuda, who believes he is probably not the kidnapper of the missing Narima girl, and questions his motivation for acting as he does. Meanwhile, Garuki continues investigating Otakawa's past when the news reports that the dead body from a couple of months ago, was identified as Mystery Kiss member Yuki Mitsuya. Dun, dun, dun. Otakawa mutters, it's not her. Uh, and as established, Otakawa is great with faces. So, one of the things, really the only thing I have to add to the discussion at this point, is you might be led to believe that uh, Otakawa is kind of like a useful idiot, you know, just sort of a concrete dude. <laughs> he caught up over his head. Until, you know, this, <clears throat> until this episode, yeah. <laughs> and you realize, like, he is quite capable and quite smart and quite shifty in his own right. You know, it's, you'll, you'll, you'll come to realize once you find out what's wrong with him, why he's the way that he is and why he's as concrete as he is. But you can't get, it's one of those things, and you and I have separately and together complained about how mental illness is dealt with on the stage and screen. Well, I have, we. And it tends to be treated as its own character trait and not part and parcel of someone's character overall. Yeah. So, like, if you're bipolar, that's your whole character. And that's not how bipolar works, and that's not how people work. Um, Boy, and, is it. And so he definitely, <clears throat> he definitely has a mental illness going on. We know that much is true. But they don't say because he has a mental illness. It's like, it's like you know, your grab bag of mental illnesses in Hollywood are paranoid, schizophrenic, murderer, psycho, Freddy Krueger, or I don't know, you know, anything from the anger management movie with Adam Sandler. Oh um, boy, you just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like no, like, and, and I don't not not just as a professional, but I think as someone just an observer of humanity. Like they, so, mental illness is so much more than that. Um, as as any one of these podcasts, you'll learn from. Um, so, my point being that you can be mentally ill, but also super smart 
and capable and able to construct a cockamamie heist plan to get yourself out of hot water with the Yakuza. Like, just because you have a mental illness, which could be anything from mild anxiety to paranoid schizophrenia to antisocial disorder to golly knows what. Um, the list grows daily. In every direction. Um, Across all three axes. And so I... Yeah. And so... There's no more axes, by the way. Um, so in the, in the latest iteration, we're done with axes. It's just like a thing now. Yeah. Boy, who, what idiots are sending the are signing those things? The people who write the DSM, um, and it's a committee. Anyway, uh, that's Moron. a whole other podcast. Morons, all of them. <clears throat> Point being, unlike a lot of Hollywood shows, they seem to have at least on an elementary level understood that just because he's got a mental illness doesn't mean he's a big he's a big fat dope. Yeah. And I like that approach to this character. It's a long way to get there, but I got there. Yeah, I like his plan. You know, he's like you mentioned for a lot of the season up until this point, you you could kind of be expect he plays himself as a little bit dumber than he is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a defense mechanism. Like, if you think I'm not as smart as I am, then you'll drop your guard just a little bit. If I act like a potato, you won't be interested in me long enough to get me into trouble. Yeah. And you know, that almost works when he, you know, is nearly killed by Yamamoto. <laughs> it almost works till everyone wants mashed potatoes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, there was a moment there when he's being strangled like that, that you kind of go, how's he going to get out of this one? <laughs> like, and, and not just how, but is he? You know, mm-hmm. there's we're down to the last handful of episodes. And it wouldn't be out of character for this show to actually kill him here mm-hmm. and then have the last few episodes wrap up in his absence. Like that, that's, that's a thing they could do. How that, very, like, how baby, very demon cry baby people. A little, a little bit, but it's how, it's one of the ways you can put your hero in peril and have it mm-hmm. be believable. Put it near the end of the show. And have established a wide enough world that <clears throat> you want, like, if Hang he on, does I want, to do die. That, I want to do that again. How right. very too old to die young of you. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, go. So I liked that. And I liked her, you know, I liked uh, Shirakawa saving him. You know, the, the jokes before about her Kapawaya notwithstanding, <laughs> she's able to take down the big, and she takes down the fox, and he gets on board to, you know, and he's such a minor, a relatively minor character. But his commitment to the idol group is legit. So he's both, right. you know, a little bit of a Yakuza thug and also a serious manager of these girls in their career. And it's to the credit of the writing of this show that even a secondary character is not flat. Right. He could have just been a thug. And he's not just a thug. Um, let's see. Gariki's still trying to figure out what completely what's going on with him and I liked that. You know, I liked he's the right character to be the one looking into this, like genuinely trying to figure out uh, this guy's my patient. He's my friend. And I know something's up with him, but I need to know what specifically. And I would like to help him. And this is how I this is the way I'm going to go about doing this. We have three episodes left. I'm just going to read through these. You can break in if you have like Mm -hmm. a quick thing, but let's do three episodes and then call it a night. We are almost at two hours. Uh, so the last three episodes, if we could go back to that day, not enough, and we're two. 
Rue reflects on her past, how her good looks got her through an audition to star in Mystery Kiss, and how she kept feeling inferior despite being appointed the leader of by Yamamoto due to Yuki being better than her in various other areas. Oh, One boy. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> so the plot thickens. <clears throat> After demoing for another producer, the man decided to make Yuki the leader. Rue called Yuki to meet with her in Yamamoto's office to convince her to relinquish the lead spot or her or kill her if she refused. But she arrived to find Yuki dead already. Rue and Yamamoto worked with Yano to dump Yuki's body in the harbor. Uh, but the hob as she spit him back out again. Sorry. Um, <laughs> there's your wire reference, everybody. <clears throat> well, we waited him, we waited him oh, down pretty good. We, we got earlier references <laughs> of the wire in this show, but <laughs> true. And replaced her with another girl who looked similar, but Yugi's body was found in the present. The repercussions echo across the area as Mystery Kiss is forced to hold a press conference apologizing for the real Yuki's death. Jobu fears that his heist plan might be undone. And Amai becomes depressed that Mystery Kiss Christmas special might not happen. Meanwhile, Baba abruptly decides to end his partnership with... Oh, this broke my heart, actually. With Shibagaki on the day of their Losers Bracket performance. Yeah, Mark, I've, that reminds me. I have to talk with you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. that, that joke would hold weight if I, if I booked a podcast without conferring with you first and leaving you out and you not throw a tantrum. Um... <clears throat> On the press conference about Yuki's death, Yamamoto admits to replacing Yuki with Sakura when she went missing and reveals Yuki's father is famous comedian Danraku. As Yano and Sakaguchi drive to the bank with Imai, Jobu watches them from a nearby van and the elder daemon pays a visit to Otakawa. Elsewhere, Giruki continues digging into Otakawa's past, learning that his parents died um, when their van crashed into the river as a double suicide, and Otakawa swam to safety on his own. Episode 12. Not enough. Dobu's odd taxi plan goes into action. Ah, that's the name of the show. That is the name of the show. Yano's... Um, I just I need to briefly mention one thing. If you're observant, and you have to be really observant to have picked this up, I only picked it up after the fact. You know, you can pinpoint how when the Mystery Kiss members change, because while they're both black cats, their whiskers and cheek pouches are not the same. Um, <clears throat> and that, that's, which is kind of how, you know, I imagine that's how Otakawa knows, like, oh, no, you're not that one. Dobu's odd taxi plan goes into action as Janu's van is packed full of suitcases with fake money while Dobu gets the remaining nine cases of real money from the bank. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Homo sapiens comes out on stage to do a routine, but Shibigaki breaks down. Oh, wow, this, this, this is rough. It breaks down halfway hey, we're through. We're doing so well, Baba. too. I know. It's like he had like this like crisis moment. Well, he, he forgot the line. Like, right. the, like uh, he forget he forgot where they were in the gag. Mm -hmm. And then instead of being able to roll with it, just yelled at you and just snapped. <laughs> the older Damon pulls over Yanu and Sakaguchi while letting Imai go, only for Yanu to discover that most of the crates were fake. And the elder demon is working with Dobu as Dobu takes the last crate full of real money from Yanu and speeds off to meet Otakawa and collect the rest. Otakawa drives into the parking lot where he spots Tanaka holding Dobu's gun. Oh, this was great. Because <clears throat> this was such a clue moment. 
But oh, Dobu yeah. is unfazed, claiming that Tanaka already used up his bullets. <laughs> one for the sh- one for the chandelier, one for the singing telegram. <laughs> no, it, it's a genuinely great bit. Yeah. And what you realize again later, they reveal this. If Do- Dobu has effectively counted the appropriate six shots, mm. he's just assuming that Tanaka is the one who shot him at the uh, at the warehouse. Right. Turns out not so much, and that false assumptions are what leads to him getting shot in the gut here. Having been burnt out from his quest for revenge, Tanaka, Tanaka demands an apology from Otakawa when a unique eraser falls from Otakawa's pocket. Oh, oh my great. god. This Speaking was great. breaking my heart. Yeah. Like, that <clears throat> thing falls out and he's suddenly like, oh, this was it. This was where it all went wrong. Why do you have... Why did you say that name? <laughs> uh, but... At which point, you know, Otakawa just happily goes, no, my girl, you know, my girlfriend gave this to me mm-hmm. and she got it from Dobu. And he goes, wait a minute, 11 years ago, what was your handle on eBay? Like, like that kind of thing. <laughs> he goes, I don't know. Maybe I was, maybe I was scamming people at that time, but I don't know. And Otakawa has like the best way around this like, little like standoff they've got going on. Because you're using the same handle, mm-hmm. so you're and he's still he is the guy with you know, the most popular zoo in Zudin. Goes, let me see his you know, the little like picture tag that is on that. Looks at it and goes, yeah, that's him. And mm. Dobu's like Dobu tries he, he briefly for one second goes, what the? Oh right, you can do that. Like that's your superpower. You recognize people, and just stops trying to deny it at that point. Like. <laughs> No, like that could have been anybody. Oh no, it's you. Like you're the one guy who I know. Like yeah, fine, it was me. <laughs> so Tanaka shoots Dobu, and then yeah, runs this, off in a oh, pack. Oh yeah, <laughs> right in the gut. Otakawa leaves Dobu behind and prepares to leave the money for Imai when Yanu and Sakaguchi try to run him down in a cop car they hijacked from the older Damon. Yep. Meanwhile, the younger Damon finds his older brother beaten on the side of the road. Oh, and he this broke to arrest my heart everyone too. involved. Like there's so much of this. Like I would love to see this show redone as like live action, but with people and not anthropomorphic animals and shit. Well, the irony of that being, it's part. It's an important part of the gap of the show. Like this uncertainty about the very world that you're observing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, and I get that. It's just like played straight. This is still a great drama. This is still a great Mm -hmm. crime drama. It really is, you know, and, and and there's there's so many elements to it, you know, the psychological, the emotional, and you know, it, it's not so much distraction, but you can, in your elevator pitch to people, and you're like crime drama, blah 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 blah, blah but everyone's an animal. I think the everyone's an animal is where you lose a lot of people, um, if you're pitching something re- real life. Yeah, because I think we go then. Well, then how are we going to do this? You, I, you would have to find <laughs> some other. You would have to find some other angle for Odokawa's coping mechanism to have developed. Like, it, yeah, it, I don't think you could do this, but you need something that makes you question the the world. Right? I would, I would tell you, uh, most Eisley's Cantina. Everybody in the world is an alien, of some, okay. you know, you know, like the Orville or something. And that's and so instead of doing animals, everyone can be kind of a cheap, cheaply made Star Trek. Here's uh, your Klingons. Aliens. Here's your Cardassians. Yeah. Here's your Wookies. Here's right. your 
and nobody and everyone knows sells it and nobody nobody calls it out but that's the visual until you until we get to the next next episode yeah. and you suddenly realize what this really is but i think that's how, but i think that's how you elevator pitch this to somebody if you wanted to do this in your uh, life. there's a great little bit that again if you're paying attention you've noticed one of the um one of the ornaments on the rearview mirror for Otakawa is this little uh, duck charm. Yeah. And you don't, they've shown it a few times, but you don't quite know what it is. He's got a few things up there. Then when the brothers are confessing to each other about what's going on mm -hmm. and the big brother pulls out that same charm talking about when his parents died in that act, when their parents died in that car crash, you know, so, suddenly you know, that you start to like, oh, when we were done being on that, you know, this was our like graduation gift mm -hmm. as a reminder of what, and you know, suddenly that thing that Otakawa was lugging around, he knew the whole, you know, he was lying about, you know, my parents were gone. I don't know where they are. Like whether he's, whether he's convinced himself that it's a lie or he's just lying out of habit, you're not quite sure, but he's still carrying that thing around and it just, keeps kind of clicking a few things over in your head but you know the brothers talking to each other about where one of them went wrong where the other didn't you know that's yeah. uh that's some genuinely good stuff all right last episode and then we're gonna do a quick wrap up and get out of here where uh, to the, the opening of this up like the first five minutes of this episode are heartbreaking the highway chase ends with otakawa's taxi running off the bridge and plummeting to the river i legit thought he died because i i knew like this this was a self-contained thing. You could kill him if you wanted to. It would have changed nothing. And so I legit thought he was dead. Somehow, all the major characters end up on the shore to witness it. Garuki picks up Shirakawa <clears throat> on the way to the harbor and tells her the truth. Odakawa has been suffering from a mental condition called visual agnosia, caused by executive dysfunction. In flashbacks, it is revealed the inhabitants of this world are not talking animals, but humans. Oh, my God. Again, not to reference The Wire too much, but I totally heard like the end credit montage from every episode, every scene of season of The Wire over this one scene. Down in a hole, baby. Down in a hole. Otakawa, uh, a shy introvert child abused by his alcoholic, neglectful parents, always felt closer to animals than humans like you do. That is a very common thing. <clears throat> I, I am much closer with personally speaking like i i much prefer animals to people your spiritual godson jonas um his behavior distinctly changed for the better after we got a dog and his uh his uh need to be around animals as perceived by his mother and i uh became that much more apparent you know um i think people who struggle socially uh absolutely you know seem to do better when animals are present. I think that I think that's psychologically sound. Yeah. Um but anyway. Uh oh, his whole backstory, man, like the, the way they talk I mean, again, you've kind of picked up at this point that we're seeing that something is wrong with Otakawa in terms of the visuals of the world. Mm -hmm. His flashbacks are all to people. There are another big clue. There are pets. Right. And one would assume that if this world had developed genuine anthrop. You don't see a lot of anthropomorphic shows like this that have, you know, dogs and cats in their feral state right. uh, or, or domesticated. Like that's just not much of a thing that's done. Well, it's hard because what, what, you know, it's like the family guy thing. Why is Brian a human dog? 
but he interacts in a world where dogs are dogs. And it's never more clear than the crossover episode with The Simpsons, which I just watched recently again. And it's just like, you know, Santa's little helper is a dog dog and yeah. it's doing dog dog things. And there's Brian just like ridiculing him. <laughs> well, Brian does that to other dogs in the Family Guy universe. Right. Too. Yeah. There's a whole, you know, maybe that's why they had him tied up. Um, <laughs> the dog mangles another dog and a woman and a cop. Anyway, um, let's move on. So <clears throat> after the murder suicide, when his mother attempted to drown all of them in a car, he developed this condition to see everyone as various animals. Um, this could also that be described as like a traumatic coping skill. That line that he has <clears throat> in his journal there, that like I'm so glad I became a walrus. Yeah, sure. Like that's a oh, just that's what I was the about. heart. That's what I was talking about before about like you know when you're traumatized, you do develop various coping mechanisms and skills, and you know it's not the weirdest thing in the world that someone would decide <clears throat> in order to cope with the world that makes zero sense and hurts you everything's animals and that soothes me and it's able to make me function so that's why like i said at the beginning when the doctor's not really calling him out on it it's like the doctor probably recognizes that you know he's got a the eye the object of mental illness treatment is to get you to function not to cure you some of this is incurable yeah but it's to get you to be able to function as a human being and add to the you know <clears throat> the uh, the greater good the greater good stop that <laughs> Anyway, um, bah, 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 bah. he developed this condition to see everyone as various animals. Shirakawa dives in after Otakawa and saves him after he wakes up. He was down there for like an hour and a half. I don't know how this happened. Uh, you, again, you have to, there's a lack of understanding of the time progression here because it, it, it's not all one to one. I, I get it. He sees everyone as humans again and slowly gets used to reality. Meanwhile, Rue is arrested on suspicion of murdering Yuki. With Yano, Yamamoto, and Sakaguchi arrested as accomplices and hiding the body. It is revealed the younger Damon was the one who shot Dobu in the leg in episode 9, which is why he assumed Tanaka had used up all of his bullets. Yeah. Imai shows up in the hospital giving 100 million yen saved from the river to Otakawa. He visits Kuruda in the sauna, realizing he has been the one supporting orphan children. Oh, he gives him the money. Yeah, that, that's real. That's like, such Otakawa is such a good dude, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, even he's talking to this Yakuza guy, mm -hmm. and they just have a heartfelt conversation about, you know, you you might be a Yakuza guy, but you know, it's established that his one rule for all of the people in his area is you don't kill anybody. Mm -hmm. And you you've got a bit of honor going on here, and you might be a bit of a you know, you might do illegal things, but here's this one thing you're doing that is good. That has mm -hmm. benefited me and others like me in my situation, and I would like to pay that back and make sure it keeps going forward. The actor who played um, the main gangster in seasons one and three of uh, of The Wire, Wood Harris, I think his name is, kind you know, like like <clears throat> this reminds me of when the uh, the old crook um, is asking them for money for the boxing gym, and he you know, and you know, and he's like begging practically, and Wood's like. Just fucking give him like twice that amount. Like, what are you crazy? Like, yeah, whatever, man. Help the kids. I'm glad you're doing it. Somebody has to. You know, it's 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 the idea of like so much of not not to say that like the mob is something that we should, you know, think is wonderful, but the mob is made up of people who act like people, and not all yeah. of them are all the way bad all the time, you know. Um, and yeah, so the idea 100%. of like a of a gangster like 
thinking it's a good idea to have an outlet for kids. Not every kid's going to be a drug dealer either. So, you know, some of them should grow up and become boxers and basketball players and football players and accountants and doctors and lawyers. Um, not necessarily in that order. And I think like the tacit recognition of a gangster is portrayed in the wire or a gangster is portrayed in odd taxi is, is that, you know, we should give and we should take care of children. Plenty of them will be around to do our bidding. That's just the way life goes. But the rest should be taken care of and nourished and moved on to do better things. I actually think I remember reading like a, uh, something or watching a documentary that they were act like they like gangs were sending kids to college because they actually needed lawyers and accountants to run the gang. Wouldn't shock me one bit. Um. Anyway, moving on. Uh, he visit. Uh, couldn't tell the difference between a cat and a person. During the end credits, we see what happened to most of the other characters. Baba and Shibagaki renew their partnership. That was, was heartwarming. It was. It was an odd choice, though. Um, Kakihana. Well, finds finds the a funniest thing those guys ever do in that, mm -hmm. as a duo is when they're on that pier, right at the right as Otakawa is is you know, driving his thing off the cliff, and he's making this heartfelt pitch about. We got close this time, and I know I screwed it up, and I know we're doing a bunch of we're going in a million different directions, but I think we can do it, and I think if we give it one, you know, let's give it one more year. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we can still make a go of this, and he's just convinced this heartfelt pitch, and then he sees in the background the car fly across the silhouette of the full moon. <laughs> like, I'm upstaged by a car driving off. Really. <laughs> this so is my good. big moment, and I'm being up like it is. It's the best bit of comedy those two mm -hmm. do. Yep. Kakihana finds a job and works off his loans. Kabasawa stops relying on social media fame and tries to find work like you do. Dobu and Elder Damon go to jail and Tanaka deletes Zudin from his phone and resumes his job. Like, like, like oh, God, again, I, I, I go back to Fight Club with this. You know, it's just kind of showing up and a little blood here, a little thing there. But, you know, but you're just doing your job. You know, like, and everyone's oh, kind of just, you look you know, slightly different. <laughs> I mean, how many... In all seriousness, how many people who work in that kind of an environment know that much about the people two cubicles over? You know, no, no, exactly. But that's what it, I, I, you know, a show is good when it reminds you of other shows, but not in a bad way. Yeah. And so, like, I've made references tonight to Fight Club, The Wire, <laughs> you know, other stuff. Like, we've talked a, Cohen, we've talked Cohen Brothers and Tarantino. Tarantino yeah, like, there's a some lot, good, some good company to be compared to. In the closing montage, it is revealed that Sakura, who was fourth in line yep. in Mystery Kiss editions, was the one who killed Yuki. So Yamamoto would hire her. The episode ends with Sakura ending Otakawa's entering Otakawa's taxi after she had been looking for him in order to tie up loose ends. All right. Um, hey, thanks for making me watch this. You crazy anime lover, you. Um, good choice. This, you, you know, you know what I like. Uh, you, you generally. I'm glad we've maybe not totally, but at least for a little while moved past the what can I make Mark watch to torture him and have moved comfortably <laughs> into what can I talk about with Mark that makes me happy that I think he would like to. I, I stopped. Look, I stopped. Place. I think we I think I look part of the reason I arrived at that. There was a time when choosing what went on the schedule. Would frequently involve you going, OK. There's two things. They're both fairly, I mean, they're they're both fairly big releases. They're both they're both they both fit the criteria. 
I have to make a judgment call about which of these two things we're going to review. Robert would like this, so let's do this. <laughs> now, this is a this is a deliberate exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Now, I look at the release because th- that would be some of the discussion we'd have. I look at the release schedule. You look at the release schedule. We'd go down the list. I'm like, okay, here's a couple of things that I'm interested in. And unfortunately, they're being released the same weekend as stuff that I know fits the criteria better. Okay, here's a few margin calls, and you have the producer credit. I don't, so we just do what you say. And then the last two and a half years of film reviews, of film releases, like I've gone down the schedule with, I've gone down the list with you and gone, I'm going to hate all of it. I'm going to hate so much of this. <laughs> Just but, so to watch you do but, that on camera because I can actually see you looking into the middle distance now. I'm going to hate so much of this, but I can't argue with any of it. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to talk, you know, the fast movies. Like, God, these are terrible. We all know they're terrible. But there's not even a hint of something that I can pitch as a replacement. There's nothing the week before. There's nothing the week after. Like, film has just bifurcated into stuff that is interesting and of quality Mm -hmm. that all goes straight to streaming or small releases and everything that gets a wide release. But that's crap. Right. But that's also why I started doing the triple feature thing, because it was like we needed a way to talk about. The, the the vastly changing film atmosphere. In any case, all that to say... The point, be- that, the point yes. being, as I could stop blaming you personally for the direction <laughs> the entire film industry took, I, I and, you know, I personally tell me, okay, this is not healthy for you. It's not healthy for me. It's not doing... There's no point to that. So let's find stuff that I... And, I mean, again, jokes aside... A lot, I understand that a lot of my guilty pleasures don't line up at all with what you want, but anytime that I find something that I find interesting, for the most part, I know you'll find it interesting too. So we can, yeah. And this was can... a, this was a great pick. I really enjoyed this. Um, it's not something I would have watched on my own. And so, like, and that's the thing. And this will be the last thing I say. And then you'll have your piece. And then we're going to just plug and get out of here because we're over now two hours. Um, but you know, I'm I'm. What is the somebody was asking me today, like, what do you, you know, like, why do you podcast? You get money from this. And I'm like, no, it's dedicated. The short answer, just so we can get to the point of this little tirade, is this is an hour or two of dedicated talk time about something I want to have a long conversation about. Yeah. Too often, the modern conversation is said in bites as you're passing each other in a hallway or at a, or at the, you know, the aforementioned uh, water cooler. And I hate that. I, I I can't give you an opinion that's meaningful to me about WandaVision in a five-minute as you're passing me and really only wanted to hear me say, did I like it or not? And I, I don't, you know, you and I joked at the beginning before we turned on the recorder tonight, you know, about why I, <laughs> in our own personal chat, started throwing cupcakes at people, um, little cupcake emojis. And he and you know, I don't want to have a surface level did you like it or didn't you conversation. I want to have a deep, meaningful analysis and talk about the history of lonely Japanese men and you know, and the history of how anime got to be what it was and why does film work the way that it does. And like, but I, I need an hour or so of dedicated time to those things, and then I never have to talk about them again. So, <laughs> you know. And so what what a what a great what a show like Odd Taxi does is it's not something that I could have I mean I could if I really wanted to but I don't want to I don't want to take a great show like Odd Taxi 
and boil it down to an elevator pitch to the guy walking past my desk at work. I want to spend two, I didn't want to spend two hours, but I did want to spend 90 minutes. A a long form discussion. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to have a long form discussion about a show that truly deserved the time and breath to examine it in and of itself. And and we probably could have talked longer, but nobody wants to listen to a five hour podcast, Jim Cornette. So, um, that's not, (laughs) that's not as true a sentiment as it used to be. In any case, um i'm glad we did it i'm glad we spent the time to it you were like we don't have to <laughs> i guess because of the venom thing you were like you don't have to do this tonight if you're really in a mood and i'm like no no no, no. We're, we're doing this i already built the web page well so. look, as i responded <laughs> i was giving you a chance to be the one that screws up your schedule instead of having god smite it <laughs> nope i uh i write i i now build the website pages a week beforehand this is all this is waiting this is just okay. waiting for the actual show so your final thoughts. Um, the bit where we get Otakawa's story. I mean, mm-hmm. that, it's genuinely heartbreaking, man. That if, if that doesn't hit you in the feels, again, I don't know what does. Like, it's it's a genuinely moving bit of uh, bit of character work and you know, line reading and everything that goes into it. The bit where he falls into the river, mm. and you see all the ancillary character, all the all of our secondary characters see it happen and where their heads go is another thing that I, I I can't put to words exactly what emotion that tweaked in me because mm-hmm. it's not sadness in the traditional sense I don't know what it was but I definitely had a reaction to that okay it's tragic. The, ir- the irony being that it also does give away who the killer is if you look at everyone and what they think about when they go, when they see that, what do they think about? What do they, they see this life potentially ending. What do they think about? Kakihana thinks about you know, the fact that he was just taken for a lot of money and his life is in shambles and he threw that ring into the water. Um, everybody thinks about something. Then we see who turns out to be the killer. And what does she see? She sees chicken being fried, something that makes her happy. Right. It's a nice little clue about what took place there. I I need I need to go to the character design a bit here. When Otakawa wakes up and he starts seeing everyone as when we all see everyone as people instead of animals. You can tell who everyone is. Yeah, for sure. That's a and that's a genuinely great bit of artistic character design that went into this uh, from an artistic standpoint. So I want to give a lot of kudos for that because that could have been very awkward. Uh, that that could have been a very jarring viewing experience. And instead, you see Gariki standing over him and like, oh, no wonder he put you as a gorilla, and no wonder you when he said you look like a gorilla, you kind of went, well, I can't argue with you. Like you see Yana when he's got the big spiky hair and Imai right. walks in and like, oh, I see, I can, his dysfunction, the way he, the way he uh, calculated all that in his brain, you know, subconsciously, you can see why he made the, cho- his brain made the choices it did. Yeah. Like the, the alpaca looks like an alpaca because she's wearing a scarf. So yeah. Like, like wool around her face. Yeah. Like it, and <clears throat> again, that's a, I, I, I can't say full-on genius bit of writing, but it's certainly up there. I mean, it's, it took some forethought. They weren't just, like, randomly assigning animals and people. 
Yeah, I mean, you think about the number of people who can't keep track of their cell phones. <laughs> and then somebody wrote this. <laughs> right. Uh, the ending is one of those things that's going to, you're either going to love this ending or you're going to hate it. Mm-hmm. You're either, you can either like and appreciate open-ended endings, things that leave stuff to the imagination where does she kill him there in that taxi? Mm-hmm. Did he mentions before, I'm, Oh, I suppose I should go tell the cops what I know about what happened. Did he tell them that already? And, and he's running some kind of scam on her. So the other cops show up, does she decide not to kill him and just kind of go on about like, these are all, what happens after the show ends is up to you, not the author. And some people hate that. Right. And, to be fair, some shows, books, movies, etc., do it so badly that it's a cop out, not and it's not here. It's it's a genuinely open-ended, slightly disturbing, but also slightly hopeful. Like this is the best ending this show could have hoped for in that respect. I enjoy everything about this show. I I, I went through it very quickly because I was intrigued i love the mystery i love the dual mystery that goes on here i like the reveal it makes sense i i don't have a bad thing to say about anything in this show and i want to i want to make sure everyone knows that because people long-time listeners like does he like anything (laughs) yeah this uh i like and i like stuff that doesn't hold up to my criticism uh sometimes simply sometimes because it doesn't i'm there's this misconception about critical people that of course I don't like anything. Oh boy, <laughs> which is which is very not true. I, I've said this well, on this show. Well, I know lo- that, that's the conversation we were having before. There's, did you like it? Didn't you? It's very binary and it's very simple, yeah. and that's not criticism. And that's fine. People look. There's an entire universe of people out there who think that's criticism. Think that's a podcast. Do those kinds of podcasts, and they're all very happy. And people listen to them. More people listen to them probably than listen to us. That's fine. I don't. I am really tired of arguing with the world and running up the down staircase and being mad I did so. I'm past that point. Um, but for those of you who want criticism, like legit criticism, that's what we're doing here. And it's not, did I like it or didn't it? That's sort of immaterial. What yeah. is it? That That is the difference. This isn't about, is it good or is it bad? It's about, what is it? And what is it takes time to discuss. Sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes sometimes you look at sometimes you are Jeff Goldblum walking up to the big pile of dinosaur shit and go, Whoa, that's one big pile of shit. <laughs> but sometimes it but but you said sometimes it does. And I'm mm-hmm. happy to have long form discussions. And again, just because you're a critical person doesn't mean something has to be perfect for you to like it. I like stuff that's not good. I know right. that. There's plenty but, of stuff we don't talk about that I just watch because yeah, I, I just liked it or I didn't like it. But there, I don't need to dis- I don't need to discuss what it is. Yeah, and I, again, I don't have a bad thing to say about pretty much anything that went on in this show. It's this show should be studied if you're trying to write out, especially like a mystery for a lit for either a season of television or a movie. Figure out because it it does everything right. Uh, it juggles all the different balls. You have uh, you have red herrings that are both red herrings and not red herrings. Like the reveal that what he was talking to in his closet was just a cat. <laughs> like that was great. Right. That, that's been one of the big mysteries. Like there's a scene where, you know, when little, uh, I think it was Little Diamond 
is in there going, yeah, I'm going to take a look in your closet here. Well, the, and the music the gets ominous. That he's harboring the missing girl at first. Yeah. Or, you know, or he's killed her and is talking to her corpse because he's right. crazy. Like there's all kinds of things this could be. And even when he sees it open, like he has a moment of panic. Like, I don't know what that is. Right. Like I, I'm lucid now and I'm not sure what the Hulk did, you know, that like that, that kind of thing. Right. And it's just a cat that comes out and meows at him. And he, the visible relief on the character as that happens. <laughs> oh, good. I didn't kill anyone. Woo. Oh, thank you. We've all had those nights, man. <laughs> all right, Robert. Um, I don't know what the next anime thing we're going to do is. I know Demon Slayer season two is coming out, came out, is, is out now in Japan. I would eventually make its way to Netflix here in America, Crunchyroll, sometime in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so I know we'll do that. I know in other anime things, the things that were once anime, uh, there's a live-action Cowboy Bebop that got announced for November. Well, that, that's have... been... They finally gave it a release date. That thing's yeah. been in production hell for a while. So you, Alexis, and I will talk about that. Um, and I guess you and I will decide offline um, if we're going to do any other anime stuff. And I guess eventually we'll, you know, when there's some... <laughs> when I can figure out what my schedule's going to look like, Damn you, Sony. Um, we'll figure out when to put Food Wars back on or something else. Or you know, If you're feeling a little bit froggy. Okay. Uh, JoJo's at Bizarre Adventure part. Hang on. Phantom Blood, Battle Tendency. How many seasons is this thing? See, well, I... I oh, keep, God. <laughs> hang on. Just, just hang on. Because the... We keep tracking parts because part one and part Robert, two. Robert, one plus one? Well, first, the dinosaurs came. It's oh. not the dinosaurs came. Season one of JoJo's is actually the first two parts. Okay. And they're radically different in some respects. So you have the part one, part two, three, four, part six. So this would be season five. Okay. Is scheduled to drop. It's going to be on Netflix, which is a little bit of a shock because mm -hmm. the other stuff has not been... I mean, Oh, some of now? Um, the current season, no, but it, uh, they announced they came up with the announced the date of when it will be dropping. Seasons. The previous seasons, they have the first, I think they have the first four parts. I don't know if they have Golden Wind. All right. Either way, you either want way, to check out being, Bizarre Adventure. If you're I feeling, if you're feeling froggy, got JoJo's is a trip, man. Okay. <laughs> and well, it, again, that's and let me be clear, that's a thought if we wanted to do that. And if if you know, uh, here here's the thing. It is a lot easier for me to say yes to singular encapsulated one season of I know than it is to me to do multiple seasons of anything. Ask Jason Teasley, he still hasn't forgiven me for cutting you, which is going on its third season. Um, but I cut it because I don't have time to watch multiple seasons of one television show with all the other stuff we're doing. That being said, all right, so this is gonna be airing uh <clears throat> on the 25th of August. It's being recorded on the 24th, but because we never know when to shut up, it'll air on the 25th. Um, and then this evening we'll be recording and it'll air on the 26th, the Four Kings of Boxing, Chapter Three. The infamous, really looking forward to that. The infamous Sugar Ray Leonard. <laughs> I wrapped up my stint on Source Material Live, my glorious one year and a half stint. Uh Jesse is finally taking back over. Uh so next you week... ran screaming out of the burning building and said, It's your problem now, bud. Here you go. Um, take your stupid show back and make it gayer. Um, 
So, uh, you know, I, oh, God, anytime someone makes some reference like that, I can't help mm. but think of Blazing Saddles these days. <laughs> so, that bit at the end when they break into the musical and the music and the like, the director's commentary mm. to them was, "No, you're doing it wrong. Now watch me." <laughs> <laughs> so Jesse will be back next week with Shang Chi, him and Chris Armstrong. But I wrapped up my stint on Source Material. I kind of had a three weeks, I had a three week tour, uh, farewell tour. Uh, myself and Alexis Haina, we did Vote Loki. Myself and Evan Bevins, we did um, Suicide Squad, and then the John Ostrander run, at least the first part of it. And then, last but not least, certainly not least, probably the guy who helped me out the most on source material, um, to the point where I dedicated an entire month to just whatever it is he wanted to talk about when November 2020 fell apart on me. Uh, Christian fell, up, fell apart on a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, uh, Christian came by for one last round. Um, and we talked X-Men Deadly Genesis, which is in some parts a sequel to House of M. Uh, he's great. He knows so much about the X-Men. It was an easy show to do, and we had fun doing it. And I look forward to recording with him again with Jesse leading the charge because I'm not doing it anymore. Um, with that said, I just want to remind everybody at the two-hour and 24-minute mark that... Uh, Amazon Music. It's a Amazon great service. Music. It's a great product. Maybe the best music streaming product uh app that's out there i know there's a lot of them but amazon music is certainly among the best you can get podcasts there i'm pretty sure and if you want to try that particular Our service on there it, we're on amazon damn it we're everywhere we are we've, we've made it ma <laughs> uh if you so, want to give that a try we're giving you a free 30 days there's a link yep. in the description it's getamazonmusic.com slash w2m network that's getamazonmusic.com slash w2m network for your free 30 days of amazon music all right and, and hey to anyone listening I have to throw this out there at the end. Okay. Then just you're, your plug when you're done. Okay. If you're listening and you have an iTunes account, do an Apple podcast. I, I can't remember how they choose. They've been monkeying around with that. If you're listening to us on the Apple service, if you could give us a rating and hopefully write a review, but at least give us a star rating. We would like to get our pod, our movie review segment recognized on Rotten Tomatoes because that dump needs to be classed up and we're the jokers to do it. And one of the things to do I that... I at the very least want to put us there. We, we rag on these people all the time. I at least want to give, give them a fair shot at us. They have to know we exist first. So one of the things they keep track of, one of their criteria for being featured is have at least a certain number of reviews on Apple or on, yeah, on Apple Podcasts. It is the big one that they, uh, the big metric they use. We meet all the other criteria. We record often enough. We've been doing it for long enough. We've been making fun of them for long enough. <laughs> we just need to prove that uh, our audience base is engaged enough, and then we can be featured there, and then other people can yell at us, and we can yell at ourselves. Yep. Whitney Seibold and uh, William Bibiani and uh, Shuckman, St Stuckman, not Shuckman. Shuckman's a guy I went to school with. Stuckman. And uh, the other asshole I keep making fun of, uh, Doug Walker, you know, and all of Robert's family that do movie reviews, <laughs> they can then reference us in their reviews and be like, these fucking assholes with no criticism if it bit them in the dick. And I would be fine with that. But we have to get on Rotten Tomatoes first. So if you would, please, uh, we'd appreciate that a great deal. And I'm going to be pimping this a lot until it actually happens. So if you would, deeply appreciate it. Um, or, you know, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe there. That's another way we can get on is, is through that, uh, through that platform where again, we meet most of the criteria, uh, just to 
need some more subscribers and we're closer than I thought we were. So if you could all subscribe, that would help out a great deal. And I hate doing this and I hate shilling like this because I always feel like a jerk and I hate when other people do it because I think they're jerks. But the people who get to make decisions like this care about these metrics the way that they do. So I have to do this. Mark has to do it. Not Neither of us want to do it. Yeah, see that? No, we don't like we want to be we don't like doing it, but we do it because we have to. So if you would, please, that would help yeah. us out a lot. It offends can... my punk rock sensibilities. Your punk rock sensibilities. <laughs> uh, you can find me doing a lot of professional wrestling coverage over at 411mania.com. I cover AEW's Dark Elevation on Mondays, whatever MLW releases on Wednesdays, and WWE SmackDown on Fridays. Apparently, Baron Corbin is going to be Lucky Corbin come Friday. So that'll be a thing. But Friday's just got a little bit better. Brock Lesnar showed up at SummerSlam and will be messing around with Roman Reigns. If you would like to hear me describe Brock Lesnar as the human throbbing member, then listen to me and Chris Bailey. Dude, not a, <laughs> have you seen the picture of him, as of his head as an onion? <laughs> no. But it, you, 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 no, no. The, the, the root of the onion is his beard. And then he has the little like bit on top where it grows, like, like the mm -hmm. sprout that grows up is his top knot. Nice. It fits perfectly. It's crazy. Chris Bailey and I, it's one thing, one of the thing I'll plug in and I'll shut up and let you finish. Chris Bailey and I reviewed SummerSlam and we talked about CM Punk and then we did a little eulogy for NXT. God rest its soul. If you haven't, if you long for the days of Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura, but as a podcast, listen to me and Chris Bailey. We have developed such comic timing. It's not like who cares what we thought of the show because God knows we didn't. But hearing us talk for an hour and a half about wrestling, if I might say so, if I might toot my own horn, toot toot, it's some of the funniest. Go ahead, Arn. It's some of the funniest wrestling conversation you're going to find. Not to knock anybody else, and I'm not going to name anybody any specific names, but so many people are get so up and get so caught up in the minutia and the snobbery of wrestling. And then here are these two guys. Yeah, I resemble who, that remark. <laughs> here are these two guys that since they have nobody to impress just lay it all out there and don't always see eye to eye but have fun arguing with each other it's a hoot it, this last review we did just me and bailey no no harry broadhurst no christian no nobody just me and you know he's gorilla monsoon and i'm jesse the body and i was healing it up especially i was healing it up a lot and we had fun did and you make your yearly promise to come out of retirement and beat hulk hogan that <laughs> was close um but yeah it's uh there was a lot of fun to be had on that show and chris bailey's got a fun sense of humor um he he gets me he really gets me so um if nothing else Can i be worried no but <laughs> <laughs> i can't do this with him i can do wrestling with him it's fine all right finish up so you can find me doing that stuff over in the wrestling zone of 411 mania i also cover mixed martial arts for that particular website it's in the mma zone Speaking this last yeah, get over it. <laughs> Look, sorry. if I, I, I also oh watch God, this I'm live. sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a snob. Deal with it. I, I like my combat sports to be contested at a high level. I've also seen plenty of regional MMA. I have earned my snobbery in MMA, by the way. Other things, not so much. MMA, I have suffered, sir. Yeah, yeah, pass out. You go, the CPAP machine, I know, it's calling. Uh, 
So this last Saturday, there was an event. I covered it. It ran head-to-head with WWE SummerSlam and the Manny Pacquiao-Yours-Dennis Ugas boxing match where Ugas upset Manny Pacquiao. And, and I don't mean, and, and I don't mean he insulted him. I mean he beat him. <laughs> Legit, like, like, like they, like they, he should have been scored the winner. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Move on. Most most scores are either eight to four. It seems to be the pretty common one. Maybe seven okay. to five. But yeah, wow. yeah, he won. He won that fight. Legit. Okay. Uh, so you can. I talk a little bit about that on the show. Not much. I hadn't seen the whole fight by the time I recorded, uh, which is a whole thing because my Sunday was busy. But you can find my full report for UFC on ESPN 29 and the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Apparently, it topped out at around a million views for the main event. Average something like 700,000, give or take, for the main card. Uh, so the UFC keeps doing good numbers, even with mediocre cards. So, hey, God bless them, I suppose. Now pay your fighters more, jerks. Uh, I also host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast on Sundays. If you're interested in my thoughts on MMA in a slightly more deeper, in a deeper context, I get to go into stuff. You can find that wherever you're listening to this particular podcast. You can find it over there. Uh, So give it a search. Give it a listen if you're so inclined. This Sunday or this Saturday will be UFC on ESPN 30. It is doubling as the finale for this season of The Ultimate Fighter. What? <laughs> Haven't watched a single second. Not one second of that of the Ultimate Fighter have I watched uh, because I hate it. Um, but the main event is Edson Barboza and Giga Chikadze. So that should be a darn good fight. <laughs> as you as you keep go ahead, keep no, no, no. <laughs> we just mime various suicide attempts. Um uh, so you can find me there. Uh, oh, I previewed it on the podcast, and I will be covering it on Saturday. Uh, am I showing up? Uh, we have the Candyman review this next coming week. I'm looking forward to that, Mark. Yeah, real quick. Um, him and Sean did a two-part review, uh, survey of all the Hellraiser movies. I did a few and years the back. And the connection to Candyman being uh, Cl- was Clive Barker. Clive Barker did some of the Hellraiser stuff. Uh, Clive Barker wrote the short story, story that became Candyman. Yes, he did. So if you're into Clive Barker and you're into Candyman, check out Robert and Sean Comer in one of their better, less meandering shows that they did. Um, what if Sean, Sean, does, Sean wants to redo a lot of the Long Road Ruins. The ones he doesn't want to do are the Hellraiser ones. Apparently, you guys knocked it out of the park with those. Well, you'd know if you'd listened to the show. but <laughs> I'm sure I did back then. I'm not. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we had a good time. We... I don't. I genuinely don't think we ever got all that far off topic when we were discussing those. So yeah, I've, we I've, had a lot of fun. I've, and look, the only at this point, the only thing we'd be adding to that show is a discussion of Hellraiser Judgment. And the less said about that, the better. I mean, speaking of things you did in the in the yesteryear, um, so we got a whole bunch of Shang, we got a whole bunch of Iron Man stuff coming up uh, because of uh, the Mandarin being repurposed and put into Shang Chi. Uh, a different iteration of the Mandarin. I, I can't. Cover. I can't wait for the big twist <laughs> to be that his actual father is in fact Ben Kingsley. <laughs> so every so Joe. So um, who are you, Robert? Roberts. Everyone loves a bad guy for Iron Man, featuring the Mandarin. Uh, will be coming up this week. Plus, our uh, Jeff Harris and I in the yesteryear reviewed Iron Man three. It was one of. I think it was our very, very, very first review we ever did. Um, that was like. That was like in in the in the break between me doing politics, MMA, 
and starting movies that was the first one so that's pretty monumental show um and then sean and i uh did a long road to ruin of all the three uh iron man movies so all the iron man stuff is being dropped uh before the shang chi releases in theaters a week from friday all right anything else otherwise i'm calling it quits uh that's all i've got for the moment remember like comment subscribe tell a friend tell a stranger tell an enemy and that will cover all of our bases so we appreciate that you can follow us on facebook at rattle broadcasting network to get occasional updates and a schedule that is ever ever changing i don't talk about it <laughs> <laughs> all right folks thanks for listening to a very long longer than normal but you know that's okay me and robert like each other we love each other as a matter of fact well um so we not doing that. I am not <laughs> um so man so you know look if there's anyone i'm going to spend two and a half hours talking to besides jesse it's the otherwise man robert winfrey so i was happy to do this until then next time be well be safe and behave